This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash 302010. That's storyblocks.com slash 302010. And let them help tell your story. John Woo is an international sensation. Fern Gully saves the planet. And the three students are back, baby, this week on 302010. Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a rip-roaring journey across the decades, 30, 20, and 10 years ago. We'll tell you all the cool movies, TV shows, video games, music, all the great anniversaries being celebrated 30, 20, and 10 years ago. Hello! I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and I need to move these papes. And I'm J.R. Rawls, and I'm drawing a line in the fucking sand here. Do not read the Latin. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You will understand all those references as we move forward. Very news-heavy episode, but I guess because we've got Pulitzer Prize winners in several of the segments. After sort of a meh week last week, this week is this close to being Oops All Recommendations. Yeah. I think we're going to get like 60-70% recommendations. There's some (laughs) really good ones in here. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't get a chance to revisit as much as I wanted to because this this episode was absolutely packed, and it's so it'll be so much fun to talk about right from the beginning. Uh, Got to thank our patrons at Patreon.com/LaserTime. Give us five bucks, we'll give you some free stuff. Thank you guys so much for your support. Let's get started. April eighth to the fourteenth, we're going to talk about that week in releases: nineteen ninety two, two thousand two, and twenty twelve. Get it? Thirty, twenty, and ten years ago. I I am so excited. Because we have a clip to bring us in to 1992, April 8th to the 14th. 90s kids, and I mean real 90s kids, early 90s kids, this will probably spark some memory in you. That is... Hey! It's not just... A Van Halen song. I never heard this song before what? this commercial. Oh, this video had so much play. It's a great video. Well, the video's... My friends and I taped this commercial to <laughs> play this commercial, you know, with VCR pausing just so we could read it in the blurry uh, 180p at the time. And, ah, uh, does it bring back memories of the commercial, not the drink. <laughs> Yeah, the, like everyone else, I did not drink this. I, I did. I Well, I, I guess I have to say... I'm 12, so I have a little bit of scratch in my pocket, and we were not a soda family, but I could kind of wander across to a convenience store or vending machine after school, and I'm buying soda. So this, for me, was the first major new soda marketing launch that I ever lived through, or that I can, uh, my cognizant yeah. brain can remember. So That's like, true. You wouldn't remember a new Coke, but you no. remember Crystal Pepsi. I do, and like, it... I mean, it genuinely seemed fucking exciting. Everywhere was talking about it. It was marketed very heavily. It tastes, it tastes just like Pepsi. And like that took, at, I think, at least four or five buys to wear off. Like it's just <laughs> clear. It, it doesn't, I, it wasn't even zero calorie. I don't even think it was. No, no, no. What Coke did is they did a kamikaze product to sabotage crystal pepsi coke came out with their own brand of tab that was clear mm-hmm. and tab right. as a diet soda to make consumers think 
Crystal Pepsi was a diet product because diet products sell less. So Coke deliberately came out with a product to fail just to poison the clear cola brand for Pepsi. It It's... Man, oh I mean, I it is kind of clever. I have to give them some credit because people are starting to be like, you know, yeah, have health conscious, or you know, now it's uh, or get it. Well, we didn't use organic yet, but yeah. uh, you know, something being you know with less additives, and the idea of that, like, oh well, why why is there caramel coloring in soda? I, I don't know. So it's probably bad for you. Mm-hmm. But it was a 120-year-old tradition. You had burned in your consumer's mind the idea cola is brown. Mm-hmm. Clear is citrus drinks like 7-Up or Sprite. And to mix those two with no real need to buy this. There was no like compelling argument to buy Crystal it's Pepsi. Ridiculous. It's it's utterly ridiculous, and I don't know why it worked. But again, I'm, I'm just waking up, basically, as a little kid. So, like, this was super exciting. And it, it even overshadowed 7-Up Gold, which I think was the cola-covered 7-Up that came, colored 7-Up that came out years ago. Years ago. But it's just a silly little marketing trick. They could do very little to their formula and market an entirely new beverage. And I think it was just the name Crystal. That's a great, great name <laughs> for a stripper That's or a, a cola. That's a name. I love yep. it. Crystal. God damn, did this fail horribly. I mean, I'm glad that it, it got little kids excited a couple times. Yeah. And everyone else just went, well, why? Why? And then, as I think for a ton of people, it's now cemented in their head as the SNL sketch of Crystal Gravy. That looks, that <laughs> sketch, one, I, I did that have the Van Halen song, the original sketch? Because I'm I pretty sure so. they replaced it when it's online. But Kevin Nealon uh, bites into a pile of what looks like fucking detergent. Uh, on r- crystal gravy corn and chicken, syrup, right? So yeah, gross. I think it's just it's just corn, <laughs> corn syrup. Even but still, it's so I didn't thick. get corn syrup. The way it thickly, you know, oozes out and spreads over the food. But it, 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 <laughs> mm, I think it's a story of marketing in that I don't remember sodas, mainstream sodas, being marketed with a lot of um, rock. At the time, they were st- they still had like theme songs. I'd like to buy the world of Coke, and this was just like, no, this is a rock and hard, no frills with no additives, and like na- the the. If you haven't seen the Van Halen right now video, it's just a, it's basically a bunch of fucking tweets, um, <laughs> and so is the commercial. Right now, we want something real, something new, and that whole next generational marketing approach. I feel like this is one of the first times I saw that in a major, major way. We want you know, that was Pepsi's thing for a, a long time, definitely after this. Of like, mm-hmm. yeah, Pepsi. It's the Pepsi generation. It's Generation Next. Generation We're gonna next, get the baby. Spice Girls to dance around about it. Crystal Pepsi, utterly ridiculous. I feel like I've wasted your time talking about it, but I love reminiscing about it. Love it so much because there's so many other things that happened this week, especially in the news. We don't have have time for like Nelson Mandela getting separated from his wife. <laughs> that happened in some segment. Uh, Sam Kinison is killed at 38 yeah. in a car accident, and I'm shocked to think that I'm that much older than Sam Kinison now. Sam did a lot of cocaine and lost everything, but then he got sober. And he'd been sober for one year yep. when he was hit by a drunk drunk driver. driver. It's mm-hmm. it's. I'm pretty sure it's as tragic tale as the legend tells it. But like he had kind of turned his life around. Everybody expected Sam Kinison to die young. He kind of turned his life around, losing weight, maybe getting married, stopping drinking, and then boom, uh, just 
somewhere so, in Nevada. So freaking unfair. And God, I don't know where it was. I was watching something that had a bunch of his later stuff after he got sober. And it was honestly, his comedy was better. He was really? doing this whole thing about how everywhere he went, everyone knew you know, he liked to party, he loves coke and everything. And so they're like, hey man, want to do a line with us? And he's like, yeah. And it's like 10 feet long and there's like gravel and broken glass in it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'll do it. Damn. It's <laughs> like, it was like, yeah, him talking uh, about his addiction was I, actually I gotta really look funny. him up because I only know him in his pre-sober routines because mm. that's just when he was most famous. But I, I should look that up. Many sad things about his death, but he knew he was dying. He got hit. He got pulled from right. the accident. And as he was dying, he started to have a conversation with the sky. He said oh. to the sky, I don't want to die. Pause. But why? Pause. Okay. Okay. And then he passed away. Huh. Yeah, I think he was a more religious man than people. Well, I mean, pe- if you know anything about Sam Kennison, he was a preacher at one point. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I've, yeah, just I don't know his comedy that well. Never been a fan. I think it's the closest thing to right wing comedy I can think of. Just a lot of screaming. Love them in Back to School. I remember him in uh, the Married with Married Children, Children episode where yeah. he's the guardian angel of Al Bundy, which is pitch perfect. Casting. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. I think I think he had like a sitcom deal ready to go too, as well. Like um, something was happening with a show for him. But yeah, Sam Kennison is killed thirty years ago this week. But we got some Pulitzer prizes to talk about. Pulitzer prize for drama goes to the Kentucky Cycle by Robert Schnecken. Schnecken. Yeah. I don't know. And then Pulitzer Prize for Fiction goes to A Thousand Acres by Jane Smalley. And, oh man, after 151 years, Britain's Punch magazine publishes its final issue. Not uh, uh, So I'm a huge history buff, read a lot about the 19th century, and you'll get these throwaway lines to Punch where it says, and then Punch magazine made fun of the prime minister. This fun fact, they rejected everything ever submitted to them by Charles Dickens. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's just odd to hear a print folding story in the 90s. Print was all the rage, people. Uh, miss my magazines. I really do. Yeah, but it was, I mean, like a, a satirical magazine and, that has some, it, it helped popularize the word cartoon. Wow. That's wow. how old it is. They didn't have words for that shit. 150, what? 1841. What was the cause of 92 of this magazine folding? I wonder what it was, scandal or bankruptcy? Uh, people said it just wasn't as funny as it used to be, and other people retorted it was never that funny in the first place. Oh, they said the same thing about Mad, and they were wrong. I understand, though. Yeah. And speaking of Brits, John Major is re-elected Prime Minister of the United Kingdom after the Conservative Party wins the most votes in British electoral history. Oh, so this God. is a case where the polls were predicting a slight Labour victory. Mm-hmm. And so when the large Conservative victory came in, everyone went, what's wrong with our polls? And they changed the method of their polling. And there's never been any problems with polling ever <laughs> since. <laughs> So we're in like year, what, 12, 13 of the the Conservative Party being in charge, yeah. at least. I mean, because it was Thatcher for Thatcher like 11 years. Thatcher 79, if I'm going off memory. Don't quote yeah. me on that, but yeah. Yeah, it was Thatcher for like a decade, 11 years, something like that. And then John Major, because they got sick of her, but not the Conservative Party. And oh, man, it's kind of, it's like having nostalgia for George H.W. Bush. It's like, look, that guy sucks, but where the Conservative Party is now. Oh, I'd have him back in a second. Mm. Mm. Not a 
bunch of clowns. Well, he's just a very boring gray man. Uh, congratulations, Mr. Major. Let's move on to the movies because the movies are wonderful. Damn. Wonderful to talk about. Starting out with a literal bang Teresa Mo, Anthony Wong, Tony Lang Lung, and Chow, Chow Yun Fat in Hard Boiled. My introduction. No, my introduction. To what John Woo? My, my dad, for some reason, took me to see Hard Target uh, in the theaters. Huh. I think because he heard about John Woo on NPR. So that was my first John Woo movie. Sam, who you've heard on other podcasts, rented this when we were like fourteen because I don't know where he would have heard heard about it. But Hard Boiled. Yeah, John John Woo films. He's you know he's really hitting his stride. He's becoming the biggest thing out of Hong Kong, and it was such a pain in the butt to get your hands on stuff yeah. from there it's like yeah i mean pretty much starting about 86 with a better tomorrow and then 89 with the killer the killer i mean most people would say this is probably the best hong kong action movie ever made but hard boiled is definitely in the conversation because it goes hard <laughs> and mm-hmm. it is so unlike the action that we were seeing yeah. in the late 80s and early 90s that yeah it just became this legendary thing i think i first saw this like 94 95 off of like a fifth generation vhs because it was so passed around with film nerds of like you you are not gonna believe this man mm-hmm. and then yeah this it wasn't as big a hit as some of his other stuff but yeah he, he got but it was a, uh, it was a bigger hit american work after that it was a bigger hit in america in hong yeah. kong it the better tomorrow tomorrow and uh killer was or more well regarded but this brought him overseas basically made him a, a, like American fans now know and, and European yeah. Western fans now know John Woo because of hard boiled and yeah. it's hard boiled a- goes big. It is probably, it probably has the most deaths in it. Yeah, of like any movie we will yeah. ever talk about <laughs> unless it's something where like half the population disappears because <laughs> over 300. Wow. And is that the count of on screen deaths? 300 wow. on screen deaths. I feel like they used every squib in all of Asia. <laughs> Everybody is squibbed up with like six bullet holes. And they're just in a crowd running and all of a sudden. <laughs> so it's about a cop and there's uh he's trying to take down this gang what killed his partner but it turns out like they're also being infiltrated by this other gang member but surprise he's actually a cop too and there's a lot of clashing between chow yun fat and tony lung over like whose methods are better and um yeah plot wise eh, it's fine yeah the plot is a vehicle to get you to the next highly artistic action shot the plot is a method to get Chow Young Fat to bust out of a morgue slab shooting his gun. Yeah. And so it has two massive set pieces. There's a big shootout in a garage, which has some shit. Like the stunt work isn't. There's a point. A guy jumps a motorcycle at Chow Young Fat and then he shotguns it, and the motorcycle explodes into flames while there's still a guy on the back of it in the air. Yeah. It's, it's all. Like, Good Lord. It's, it's, I was trying to think of how different it looked because like all explosions felt very safe in western films you just see like an explosion with no people in it and just there's fire and sparks happening with like 40 people in shots <laughs> in hard-boiled like it, it it i think it i want to say it helped pave the way to get like jackie chan movies released theatrically over here probably probably Maybe. didn't hurt yeah, yeah it yeah. became more of a market for asian action stuff when you just saw how crazy shit was over there yeah yeah <laughs> But there's a siege on a hospital with lengthy shootouts everywhere. And that was the thing that film students all went fucking crazy for. Because there is a 
I feel like it's inspiring first person shooters, even though I know it isn't because <laughs> I mean, there is, there are some long ass takes of running down a hospital corridor, big fight, shooting glass breaks, guys running, gets in an elevator, goes up a floor, comes back out, more shooting, more chaos, all uncut. I and mean, video games nobody, always feel for movies. Nobody yeah. was doing that yet. We had plenty of long fancy takes, but in the middle of this massive action set piece and how active the camera is like i kept seeing shots like well that got ripped off and this got ripped off oh a ton of this got ripped off because of its its lower scene stature western film could just borrow from this for like three years before most people would notice and j- just yeah. here and there and inspiration blah 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 i'm not saying people are ripping off hard-boiled but they were they were and it was it was creating a new language for action are hong kong films still a thing in 2022 somewhat yeah because they have this weird situation with china where they're technically part of china but kind of not which kind of does add to like the historical value of this This is five years before the british leave Mm -hmm. and so some people it's one of the fun things where like some people will just get so mad they start yelling in english (laughs) (laughs) yeah kind of funny it's Um, it's also at a time when hong kong was vastly ahead of the rest of china it's it's hard to put yourself in the mindset of 1992 because in 2022 china is such a huge superpower but in 1992 the average hong kong income was 18,000. The average Chinese income was $1,200. So, you know, that's comparable. Imagine there was some city that was not quite part of America where the average person made (laughs) $750,000. So that's, I think, a big reason why we got all these Hong Kong films. But as China rose, it kind of died away because the rest of China began to catch up. So I'm hearing Hong Kong is the reverse Tijuana. <laughs> yeah. Speak, I would love to speak on this aspect of it. If you look up the hard-boiled hospital scene, you will find a video I uploaded. <laughs> what comes up first is the video I uploaded to YouTube to write about this scene in promotion for the video game sequel that came out in 2008, Stranglehold. Xiao Yun Fat plays a d- detective tequila, and they had a tequila time slowdown mechanic uh, where you could, <laughs> yes, dive over chairs and tables and slow down time and fire with both fists. It was great. Do you go around collecting doves? Oh, I don't remember. It's been a long time. The game kind of, I think the game kind of failed. But, but it was. I didn't it really w- see any doves in this, and I was kind of disappointed. No. Oh. Yeah. But the, the game was for a while was the only way if you bought the PS3 version, you would get the Blu-ray of Hard Boiled with it. And that was like one of the only ways to get the fucking movie in high definition. Yeah. Um, and you can't. I, it's not streaming anywhere except the couple places on YouTube. People have been nice enough to upload it, but it's not high def. It's, eh, you know. What you gonna do? 300,000 views on this video. God damn. It's like the second <laughs> video I ever uploaded to YouTube. No, Hard Boiled, if you are an action fan and you have not bothered with Hard Boiled, it's something. But it does help to put yourself in the mindset of what kind of action movies were we seeing in 1992? Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, the biggest action movie we've had recently is uh, Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. And you think about like what that looks like. It looks fucking great. And then compare it to this and you go, oh my God. Yeah, if you heard us talk about the raid, it was like that was happening 30 years ago. Uh, You know, if you have to be a little curious what made John Woo a marketable commodity in the West and Chow Yun-Fat an internationally recognized movie star, here you go. Hard Boiled basically brought them both across the pond. Uh, How do we pivot to this one? Xin Yang, Lyndon Pa. It's it's another foreign film and it, it takes place in Asia. 
Ah. How about that? Lynn Danfam, Vincent Perez, uh, Catherine Deneuve, and Andouchine, which is a big French movie. It's a sort of a big, long epic about, you know, this French woman who has a big, you know, colonial plot of land in Vietnam and all the turmoil over, you know, 20 years of, because, uh, yeah, Vietnam was a French colony and they kicked out the French before they kicked us out. So as I um, understand this, this was basically France's attempt to kind of make a gone with the wind, a giant sweeping epic about a bygone age. Sort of. Yeah, it's. I, it has been a long time since I saw it, but I just, I love Catherine Deneuve so much. And it's not quite so apologetic, but there is some of that. I mean, they definitely deal with the fact that there is a classism and there's racism. And she's, you know, got an adopted daughter who's Vietnamese and the daughter gets absolutely treated like shit. And it's, uh, it, it ends up winning the Academy Award for Foreign Language Film. Catherine oh. Deneuve gets nominated for Best Actress, which is pretty rare still. We still don't see a lot of foreign performances. It is amazing how, like, Parasite and Drive My Car just acted themselves. And then we get into the American movies. Holy Lord, I can remember. A, mm. I feel like a story of an underdog that took 20 years to, to do well. Because this movie <laughs> bombed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, like, beloved now by so many people. Well, it's, it's so weird. It's, it's what, I remem it's, what I remember about it. It is the first musical, non-animated musical, that was made while I was alive. That was marketed at kids i think like mm. you know maybe coppola made one you know with his own production yeah. company but yeah, it didn't it get wide release this was bizarre i just had not we'd my family all loved musicals and all we had was old stuff and animated stuff and out of nowhere comes max casella aaron Lore, l keats and margaret robert duvall luke edwards david moscow bill pullman and of course christian bale in newsies walt disney pictures presents an all-new musical adventure it's the story of newsboys who fought against all odds. So we really think a bunch of street rats like us can make any difference? And captured the heart of a nation. From Walt Disney Pictures, it's adventure, it's music, it's pure Disney fun. The biggest blowout this town's ever seen. Newsies, rated PG. <laughs> Newsies. God, we made fun of this yeah. fucking movie. And, oh, we missed it only a month ago in 2012. It came to Broadway. I, I really hate that, though. I, whatever. But yeah, but even still, a failed musical can can be a hit failure. on Broadway. Well, it was it was designed to be on Broadway. This yeah. should have been a Broadway production from the very beginning. It's a bit cheesy. It's a lot of singing, a lot of dancing with original numbers. That's that's, and... that, that's Disney to a T almost for the last hundred years in the parks before they had a, a they didn't have a, a foothold in Broadway yet. So I'm guessing right. that's that that's this is their outlet for that. But I feel like Disney's musicals really shine in animation. I'm trying to sure. think of the great Disney live action musical. Oh no, no, I don't think I mean there's musical numbers in almost every Disney film, but Mary they're excruciating. That has animation. That's a border case. Peach yeah. Dragon, too much animation for you? Yeah, I again, we're talking decades earlier. I mean, yeah. every but, every live action Disney movie had some small musical component, but you wouldn't really have called it a musical because there's only like two to four songs. This yeah. is a straight up holy shit close set. It, it does very much look like a Broadway production. The kids, of course, live in this orphan paradise, like the orphans in Annie and Oliver, where they get to do all sorts of exciting adventures. And you know what? I think kids really love. Hmm. Union politics. <laughs> Kids cannot get enough of union politics, which is what this film is. It is a bizarre. About. It's a real yeah. story told 
pretty stupidly. <laughs> yeah, no, the Newsboy strike of 1899 is actually pretty interesting. And every now and then there's something in this movie that I did find interesting. The idea mm. of newspapers have this child labor workforce that is so mistreated and like there is like no way to survive on the wages that they're being given and that they organize themselves and and they take they take on joseph pulitzer himself oh. while damn you pulitzer. <laughs> like it is an interesting story and you know but yeah at the same time it's like all these kids are uh based they're they're all like homeless <laughs> it's sort of like isn't this this is fun if we all work together and it's like that kid's gonna die a TB in like three minutes. Come on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, L Lil Christian Bale leading another movie after Empire of the Sun mm -hmm. and seeing a bunch of reviews of like, well, this movie kind of sucks, but Bale kid's got some, he's got some screen presence. He does a pretty good job, I guess. Maybe he could go on to do stuff. I know. I, I just think this was made for theater kids and it just took yes. that 30 years for them to percolate it in the brain and then, oh, now it's on Broadway and it's a big hit. My sister, uh, my sister loved this. I'd seen this. I, I can't stand, I couldn't stand to rewatch it. It's just been, ugh, I, I did not like Newsies growing up. I, I haven't seen the Broadway version, but my understanding is they do make some changes. Like they mm -hmm. turn the sexy mother figure into a more maternal figure in the stage show. Boo. That was the one thing I had to latch on to. The sexy lady in Newsies. <laughs> and Margaret's boobies. It's just, it's weird. It's just, yeah, from start to finish, it's like, this is a weird thing to want to make a musical about. It's weird to make a live action musical in 1992. It is. It's not, and it doesn't yeah. give me dissimilar vibes from the recent West Side Story. Just like, why now? Oh, just because you love yeah. the old one. Homage, to basically. Make a, make a, hopefully a timely homage because uh, Disney yeah. music is now selling again and it hadn't yeah. for a while. This is the Disney renaissance where you've got a whole lot of really banger hits out there. So I'm sure they just went, hey, they, let's they... see if we can make some uh, musicals that aren't animation and don't take five years. Take to five go. years to make. We have Alan Menken, let's use him. And yeah. they did. And he wrote yeah. the music in this. Annie is a good comparison. I wonder if they were thinking like, Annie, oh, we'll get wow. guys in. Because it's like a boy's version of Annie. I think about that every 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 year or so. Annie might be the first movie I watched fifty times, and I mm -hmm. haven't watched it in thirty-seven years. I remember it, but like, do yeah. I? Like, I <laughs> I just don't have any. Yeah. It was back when uh we only had a the certain kind of VHS player, and that was one of four movies I could rent at the new movie place. So I I watched Annie all the time, and I just I, yeah, I have no nostalgia for it. I need to watch yeah. Annie again. God damn it, 30, 20, 10. Could have made me watch that if we were doing 40, 50, 70. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Newsies, though. Sorry, news. All right. So this is an interesting... I'm going to try to make a transition here because it's like, that's Disney trying something new slash old and failing. And then we have what seems to be an independent production mm -hmm. gunning for the Disney crown. Yes. And uh, yes. Eh, they don't exactly succeed, but God bless them for trying. You know, because we, we just talked about Don Bluth, who's like the biggest competition Disney had and yes. not doing a great job. And this, but this had, this had one other thing going for it that, you know, in animation, you need like a lot of money or like a Hallmark greeting card character. This had a cause. So it had people behind it and wanting to see it happen for like a dozen years. Tone Loke. Yeah, it took forever. Tommy Chong, Cheech Marin, uh, Grace Zabriskie, uh, Robin Williams' first animated performance. 
Uh, it's not Aladdin. Christian Slater, Tim Curry, Samantha Mathis, Jonathan Ward in Ferngully, The Last Rainforest. Deep in the forest, there is a magical world where humans existed only in fairy tales until now. You shrank me? Catches on quick, doesn't it? Krista and Zach invite you to rock with a reptile. Blast off with a beetle blower and swing around with a bat who's totally batty. Red light. Why not join the fun in Fern Gully, rated G. It's Fern Gully, and this is, for a long time, was, I think, one of the, other than American Tale, one of the more... I don't want to, maybe not successful, but it penetrated the young audience to where like this was kind of on a lot of shelves when I was a kid. I, I feel timing probably had a huge deal playing that because I remember the early 90s as pounding into my head, save the rainforest, mm-hmm. save mm-hmm. the rainforest. And I'm so glad we solved that issue because I <laughs> never hear about it these days. <laughs> so I just assume it all solved itself, right? That's yeah. how that works, right? Well, yeah, I mean, what you want is a bunch of 11-year-olds to be like, I like rainforests. I like Cheech and, and Chong. That's how you save it. That's how you save the rainforest. If a bunch of 11-year-olds agree that rainforests are good, step two, step three, rainforests are fine. Yep, yep. That's that's exactly the business model. Although, part of that trend, a year and a half from now, we do get the Rainforest Cafe. Oh, Oh, Jesus. I had two interviews there. Both went poorly. My basic problem with this movie is there's an old expression in Hollywood. If you want to send a message, use Western Union. Generally speaking, I think if you pound your message into your audience with a sledgehammer, you're not going to get a good film. I think you can contrast this film with pretty much any Miyazaki film, Mm -hmm. which sets out to tell a good story, but inherent in the Miyazaki's film is the message that environment is good. Saving wilderness is good. Mm -hmm. And that's all inherent in the stories in those films. And it doesn't feel preachy. It doesn't feel like it's hitting you overhead. And that's what I think sticks with the audience better than this Go save yes. the rainforest, kids. I, uh, I file it in with Captain Planet, a, a, yeah. a show I never loved, don't hate, but will never revisit. And I've seen Ferngully enough. And uh, how about this? Film... How about this? Now, Rockadoodle and now to Ferngully? Remember me sticking up for Rockadoodle last week? Which movie would you rather watch? Rockadoodle all day. I don't, I don't <laughs> know, because Ferngully is actually it's very pretty. Yes. Uh, Ferngully uh, is shorter. It's 70 minutes long, okay? There are, not including the credits, it's only 70 minutes. So there are TV shows these days that run 70 minutes. So I think I'd choose Ferngully. But it ends with Zach, our protagonist, who is the surfer bum who lives in the city, whose summer job is working for a lumber company, but he learned to save the rainforest, and he's going to go spread that message. Now, are you going to listen to Zach? No. I mean, <laughs> no, it's not just... when he starts talking about how cutting down lumber Seems. in the rainforest is bad because it will free the evil demon living in a tree that was put there by the little pixie people. And, oh, I met a bat and a bunch of animals that could talk. But but did the bat <laughs> do a musical number that really resonated with Zach? Oh, man. I love wow. I love the batty rap. I... If I saw this in 1992, I would be like, oh, God damn, he's going to be in Aladdin? That movie's going to suck. He's going to ruin Aladdin. I was so excited. 
why, in my opinion, does he completely fail in this film, but absolutely kill it in Aladdin? I, it, if, if I had to guess, because it said for Aladdin, he like improvised for like two days. And they said in this, they had like dozens of hours to work with. And I think they had to shoehorn what they could into a movie they already had. Whereas like Aladdin ended up taking shape because of what Robin Williams did. Mm. It became a more comedic film because of his two days of improvisation. Uh, in my opinion, and I, I'm pretty sure I can back that up with facts if I had to, but I'm not making an hour-long YouTube video here. Go fuck yourselves. Mm. Tar- trying to talk <laughs> about Ferngully, a movie I furthest thing from hate, but just... I, I, mm. I also find it bizarre of all the... It, it took this movie how many more years? Like, uh, almost 10 years to get a video sequel? Because... I didn't know that existed until this moment. Yeah, there's a Ferngully 2 out there, but I don't know I don't know where this came from, necessarily. Like, it's it's a very independent movie from... I think a lot of Australian money and yeah, set in Australia. I'm I'm sure the boardroom meeting went. You know, we want to do a film about saving the rainforest. Should we do it in Brazil or <laughs> Africa or the continent full of white people? There you go. Huh. So it was distributed by Fox in America, but Fox doesn't own this like it does other properties that Disney now owns. But Ferngully. It fit in very well with your Disney clamshells. They gave it a little clamshell. This is in a lot of video shelves throughout the 90s. Final thought on this is, you know, the rainforest as a big cultural phenomenon of trying to save it. I'm not saying it's not important. It absolutely is. But as a cultural thing of let's all save the rainforest, that just went away in a few years. And Mm. I can't help like thinking about that. Something today is going to go away. I have no idea what it is, but there's some movement today and it's just going to disappear and it's not going to disappear because it's not a good movement it's going to disappear because people's attention is just going to drift there, to something there's else. that it's just but there's we talked about it in the coney 2012 slacktivism there's just not a lot mm. individuals yeah. can do other than spread awareness or give money and sometimes if the industry is big enough anything. yeah the industry is big enough mm. it, with, it can withstand all of that we still have fucking diamond miners and just and the rainforest. I don't know how under attack it still is. Of course it's, it is. I, I, it's smaller than it's ever been, I believe. I don't. Square acreage. Yeah. I, but the big, of all the issues, the problem is like, it's not like there's one entity that, you know, there is an evil corp that's doing, yeah. there's tons and there's all for all kinds right. of economic reasons and there's all kinds of different stuff. And, yeah, I mean, you need a government to step in, generally. That's kind of what they're for, yeah. but... The, to me, the big problem is the typical evil, evil person destroying the rainforest is a poor farmer who makes $600 a year who yes. wants to raise cattle and thereby make the outrageous sum of $1,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's the it. typical person destroying the rainforest. Yeah, capitalism rules, man. Look what they mean. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah. See, Ferngully worked on you. That's JR. <laughs> you don't hear him touting the message of Rockadoodle. Uh, Ferngully, Ferngully, I don't mean to shit on because I think it's a beautiful looking movie as well. I think it, it yeah. as far as animation goes, really, really. Do- it's, uh, I think it comes from us from the uh, Tron guy, a guy who, who helped get Tron made in Animal Olympics, uh, a thing I never get tired of talking about. The Animal Olympics guys went immediately into Tron. Good animators over there. Yeah, I think it's, it's a noble attempt. It, it is. It's, it's, a, it's a watchable movie. I didn't 
get too annoyed or bored or anything but you know it being a message movie was sort of like okay. we went all this way without comparing it to avatar how we've grown how we've grown as people Ooh. you're right it, it totally is what avatar ripped off burn gully there yep. oh, oh i'm tired of that twitter take uh moving into our final movie of the of the week man the one i really wanted to get around to seeing because it's got uh, Ron Perlman, Cindy Pickett, uh, Lyman Ward, Alice Krieg, uh, Madsen Emick, and Brian Krause. But of course, for the nerds out there, Joe Dante, Clive Barker, Toby Hooper, John Landis, and Stephen King, and Mark Hamill are also in this. It's Sleepwalkers from Stephen King. Columbia Pictures presents a story of first love. You don't know me, Tonya, but I want to. As told by Stephen King. <laughs> now. Somebody help me, please! From the modern master of horror comes an all-new work of terror written just for the screen. Stephen King's Sleepwalkers, directed by Mick Garris. Uber nerd Mick Garris. I think, did he oversee that, like, Masters of Horror anthology show? Maybe. And I know he directed the episode of Amazing Stories that's basically The Green Mile. Yeah. Yeah. Mick Garris has worked with Stephen King a lot. He also did the, uh, later he does the made for TV, The Shining, that's closer to the book. Yuck. Green Mile is a really fascinating reading experience and a really interesting movie. This is neither of those things. Uh, <laughs> one, it's not a book. Yeah, As it's, mentioned it's... in the trailer, this is just created for the screen by Stephen King. Stephen King has more talent in his pinky than I have in my whole body. He is not a good filmmaker. Mm-hmm. He doesn't understand film as shown by how he hates the best of adaptations of his works and how when he tries to make things that are specifically films, they're really not good. This yeah. is not a great horror movie. There's a lot of things that don't really go anywhere. Far more incest than a normal teen <laughs> horror yeah. movie because the the big bads are an incestuous mother and her son. The who last vampires. Who yeah. are weird cat people energy vampires who, who kill virgins. Who cats are their garlic? Did, did I get that right? Like yeah. they're like vampires and even though they're cat people, if other cats come around, they like shun them and get sick yeah 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 all, the, all you need to know there's a really good how did this get made episode about this mm. Ooh. where there is an awful lot of jason manzuka's yelling about but why are they cat people <laughs> is the mother fucking the cat people's son why no i, I as uh, it's just it's so bad this is <laughs> post it is fun bad i feel yeah. like it is it, it's post Coke King. So I, I could have explained away more of the weirdness if it was pre, but I, I just don't, I don't see how this got made. No. Uh, I, it, it, I mean, just because if you, I'm looking at all the directors in the cast, it seems it's probably a bunch of people who like horror stuff and were trying to throw the most fun things they could think of. And it probably didn't gel well when they tried to cut it together in a coherent film. I, I, it, I never had yeah. more fun researching a podcast that we did the best and worst of Stephen King and the worst of Stephen King was so much fun to watch. It was those, <laughs> they really were uh, bad. Stephen King adaptations are amazing. So yeah. I, I, I wish you would have gotten to this, but this didn't quite make the cut. If, if I were Stephen King, I would just be, it's, he's like having the worst year between lawnmower man promoting itself off of his name. <laughs> and then what, like a month or two later, sleepwalkers like, Oh, the one I actually tried on. No, yeah. it's really dumb. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, uh, sorry, Stephen King. Sleep. It's number one at the box office, though, so you got to give it that. That's yeah. pretty incredible. Yeah. Beating out Ferngully and Newsies, Fox and Disney. Uh, <laughs> and I feel like this is completely forgotten, whereas uh, Newsies and Ferngully have some imprint. Uh, you want to know why? Yeah. Clamshell VHSs. Do it every time. Kids can open them. Moving the television of 1992, April 8th to the 14th. I'm guessing JR put this here. Yep. Eerie Indian is canceled with a weird finale. Yeah, the character is transported to the Erie, Indiana TV show. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, for Ah. a 1992 kids TV show, that's a fantastic meta thing to do. And they're calling the character by the actor's real name. And he's just like, what are you doing? And everyone is playing like this horrible Hollywood version of themselves. At least I hope the cast isn't composed of nothing but really big prima donnas there's a line where the director is yelling at the character who is he is mistaking for the actor i get that you're tired but this is television you can't get tired it's too expensive so they're having tons of fun Erie, indiana is a delight from start to finish i never know what my kids are gonna like my daughter has just adored this it's an easy breezy watch Highly recommended. I, I wish it hadn't got it canceled after just like three-fifths of a season. So it looks like on Roku Channel? The Roku Channel, baby. It's free if you have a Roku. Right. And then, ooh, an episode of The Simpsons, third season. We get Black Widower and the official return of Sideshow Bob, meaning like he's now part of the universe. Wow. Yeah. Is this yeah. his first return? Yeah. Since his first return. Wow. So, you know, before this episode, it's utterly possible Sideshow Bob could have been a one off. It could have yeah. just been, yeah. It's Chelsea like Grammer was on one episode, just like Michael Jackson, and now we never see that character again. I mean, he oh went to, he went to jail for robbery and attempted murder. He we shouldn't have seen him until like at least the fifteenth season. But yeah. This is the Simpsons uh. crew who I believe had some basis in cheers and loved Kelsey Grammer and kept finding excuses to bring him back. And this is the, I believe the original title of this episode was the return of sideshow Bob. The episode also starts out making fun of the TV show dinosaurs for ripping off the (laughs) Simpsons, which I don't feel is fair. I really think the dinosaurs are their own things, but there were so many shows ripping off the Simpsons at the time that I can see. Yeah. I I think, I think the Simpsons kind of helped flavor what dinosaurs became, but, Dinosaurs was in pre-production with that tone before The Simpsons came out. There's also a joke made in this episode that I have seen referenced again and again and again for the last 30 years. I'll be back. You can't keep the Democrats out of the White House forever. And when they get in, I'm back on the streets with all my criminal buddies. Love the Simpsons. This episode is great. I, I, there, there. It doesn't work in audio, but it is one of my favorite Simpsons things of the montage of them trying to explain to Homer that <laughs> gas explodes oh, yes. and Selma can't smell gas, and that is how Sideshow Bob is going to kill her. I mean, the point where it's like going to the stove and turning the gas on and off. The point where there's puppets is such a good. Oh. 20 seconds worth of gags. Goddamn. Simpsons. And uh, then he ends up telling Marge because he gives up. <laughs> but there's also a joke in this episode about whether Selma will wear a white wedding dress or not. Mm. And I feel like this is the tail end of where you can make that joke because no one I knew could fit the traditional qualifications for wearing a white wedding dress. But mm. it's just not a thing anymore. It, it reminds me of the dirtiest joke 
on a Simpsons adjacent show, The Critic. Yes. I, I, I still can't believe it. She's like, a white wedding dress, ma'am? She's like, of course, except for the gloves. Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> this sneak on the ABC. <laughs> and it wasn't a wedding dress. It was for a debutante ball. Debutante it was a teenager. Okay, yeah. 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 Yeah, there is, there is, it turns out there's a color white that is one three thousandth off white called hussy white. Hussy white. <laughs> that's right. For that's real? No, that's oh, not Okay. Yeah, uh, that's what I wore at my wedding, by the way. I wore hussy white. Also, because but, pure white makes your teeth look brown. Does it? Yeah, no matter how nice your smile is, your smile is not going to be pure white. So it's going to look weird. Unless you're Tony Robbins. To you. Uh, is this a TV show or, a grand, or the actual grand this opening? This is a TV show. They ran a special on cbs of euro disney's grand opening weird have they not finalized the abc by it i guess not no not not at this point and i think euro disney officially opens next week right to a smattering of applause Mm. so euro disney was predicted to have 500,000 people attend opening days it got 25,000 There was a lot going on there. There was protest. There was a rail strike, so a lot of people couldn't go. There was commercials by the French government telling people not to go because they didn't (laughs) want to overload the system. And then a lot of people just didn't want to show. It's... One, very French, but also I would like to remind people, Disney really wasn't cool here. In a, in a couple of years, like as teenagers, we would never bring up the idea of going to Disney World. We were four hours away. It wasn't a cool thing to do, and it especially wasn't cool in fucking France. And I think just retitling it Disneyland Paris makes it sound a billion times more romantic and accessible, yeah. and, which is what it's called now. Because I, I wasn't even sure where it, wa- where it was in the world, calling it Euro yeah. Disney. Well, Disney. they didn't want to make it too French. They wanted to be like, it's for everyone, because this is their first time outside the U.S. building any sort of park or anything, right? This is only like the third Disney Tokyo park. Tokyo Disney was oh, owned Tokyo. by the Oriental Land Company. Yes. That's their official ah. name. Don't cancel me. Yes. Um, and <laughs> it was not built by Disney. It was just it's a license. It's to this day, uh, licensed by I Disney. See. Yeah. I see. But this is after their failed attempt at making an American history theme park oh, like yeah. on a Civil War battlefield in Virginia. Oh, God. Yeah, that got and, uh... and they're still working on what would become California Adventure or as locals call it, Parking Lot Land. <laughs> so well, Disney I, was a yeah. bit ignorant when they did this. They really went in not mm. doing their legwork. Its original name was Euro Disney. Later on, they did a poll and they found out that Europeans associate the word Euro with like money or uh, <laughs> laws or bureaucracy. <laughs> they don't view it as like this a glorious romantic thing. Paris, on the other hand, they do associate it that way. They had all the American hair restrictions where you have to dress a certain way and you have to look a certain way. And that was against French law. (laughs) There had also been three other major theme parks built in France in the last four years before Euro Disney that all failed. (laughs) To various degrees from bankruptcy to just barely hanging on. Good job, Eisner. The park itself was brilliant. Oh, it yeah. had great meaning. French culture was actually very well implemented. Yeah, it's last oh, on yeah. my list for Verne. the Jules Verne area, Videopolis, oh, yeah. all these. Like, they have the top of the world Nautilus. A, a balloon there. That's a movie like only I know about. It's fucking yeah. oh, terrible. Yeah. So I. Well, let's see. It was spring 98 when I went to you. They had just renamed it Disneyland Perry. Mm-hmm. And 
yeah, that was by far my favorite thing. The the future land, um, forgetting what's called, it's not called Tomorrowland, but yeah, that it is all Jules Verne themed. There's a walk through Nautilus. There, the the version of Space Mountain is based on the Georges Millet from the Earth to the Moon. Awesome. It is one of the best roller coasters I have ever been on. Yes, I am so cool. Changed it. And I really wish I would have seen it before they changed it. But they solved the Tomorrowland problem. Yeah. The problem with Tomorrowland is that tomorrow always becomes today. Never comes. So in Euro Disney, they just went, why don't we have the past version of tomorrow, which will never go out of style because it's yep. met, meant to be a retro future. Yes. Boom. Yep. Why can't I just yeah. go visit a Venture Brothers compound? That's all I want to do anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But then, I mean, they did the technology upgrades on sort of the classic rides. They did a really good job on. There's some rides that are just meh. There's a roller coaster that's an Indiana Jones theme that's not all that great. But Haunted Mansion and Pirates of the Caribbean, the the technology that they use, it's basically the same ride, but they have better animatronics now. They have better projections now. Pirates is freaking great. And the Haunted Mansion is one of the most disturbing ass rides I have ever seen. <sighs> I don't know what the hell is going on there, but the French are weird. Because it is about this, like, bride who's, like, chasing you around. And then, like, you go into the afterworld, which is, like, a crazy Wild West afterlife. And then, like, the end of the ride is, like, the bride descending into hell or something. It's... Sure. Um, Everything it's you're really saying makes disturbing. you want to go. Yep. Man. Yeah. You can look on YouTube for, like, ride-throughs. No, it's I don't really do ride views. I, I, I view it as, like spoiling myself in case yeah. i ever go but yeah I, 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 it's very strange and i believe if it's still there the only reference to return to oz in a theme park is in is in uh, yeah, no, as, as a park i mean it's yeah it's pretty good i don't know what it was like when it was open but you know five years later it was it's a really good park couple it, rides are meh a lot of it's really good and you can get beer which was very novel to someone who grew up near disneyland <laughs> I do have to say the headline that greeted the opening of it, Cultural Chernobyl is what. <laughs> yeah. And lastly, this week on TV, The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, it is officially ending Ooh, yeah. at this point. We'll yeah, we're getting into the, yeah, about uh, one full month left of Johnny Carson. I just wanted to kind of throw in a couple of his last shows because those last shows were an event. Everyone who was anyone desperately wanted to get on Johnny Carson's show before he went off as host. Mm -hmm. It was like this mad scramble. So it's like every night you get like a big, big, huge guest who was just would be the biggest guest all not, month I, in any other time. But I remember now N just, NBC was advertising tonight on Johnny. They would advertise like they would just show celebrity names. And instead of three celebrities, it'd be like 10 uh, yeah. Robin Williams would be on with fucking Elizabeth Taylor. Like, Jesus Christ, mom, can I stay up? I was like begging to stay up and see this because it, uh, it I had no love for Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. I was a little kid. I know. I don't roll your eyes, younglings. It's you have to remember this is a dude who kind of waved adults to sleep for 30 years in a world <laughs> with three channels. This is and, and there was no other talk shows on at night. It was just the Tonight Show for a long, long time. And, and, and when and, he biffed a joke, he made it work anyways. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The outside of Paris, I guess when? Tomorrow? $4.4 billion, what they call it, Euro Disney Park is going to open outside of Paris. And the French apparently are not too happy about it. Can you think of that? Euro Disney next to Paris? Change things. I just can't see Casablanca, Bogart coming up to Ingrid Bergman. You know, say, we'll always have Euro Disneyland. <laughs> you see? <laughs> oh! <laughs> You see, 
He said in the picture, in that very tender emotional scene between Burke and Ilsa, we'll always have Paris, you see. We'll always have Paris. It wouldn't be the same now <coughs> to say, we'll always have <laughs> Goodbye, Johnny. We have a clip of Arnold. We have a clip of Arnold saying he will never get into politics. What a liar. He lied on a talk show? <laughs> I have heard your name bandied about uh, by a few people in the area of politics. Uh, you're married into a political family. You're a, you're a Republican. Uh, Maria's a Democratic family. And I hear your name come up occasionally by people who know what they're saying. Arnold Schwarzenegger ought to run for some kind of public office. Now, what do you say when people come to you and ask you that? Are you interested in that? Well, uh, first of all, I always say no, because I have no interest in running for public office. Right. I think that the reason why people are saying it is as simple, because I'm married uh, to a woman that comes from a political right. family, and number two, because I am so much involved in a political arena because of the physical fitness, yes. because I'm the chairman of okay, the... Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm going to wait for my... Years. I'll wait, years. I'll wait for my movie career to dry up. End of days. Then uh, after that, yeah. uh, full political. No, I'll, I'll wait for me to be able to skip the line because there is a recall election <laughs> against a really boring, unpopular guy. Finally, video games of 1992, April 8th to the 14th. Sponge of Super Nintendo games because Europe is getting the Super Nintendo. Europe got the Super Nintendo April 11th. It never was as big there as it was here because Sega just got their foothold in yep. uh, and just made a much bigger splash there than they ever did in America. Mm -hmm. And then we also have AeroBiz is out this week. True. A rare business simulation for Gross. the Super Nintendo. You get to run an Whoa. airline. Yeah, you get to Fancy. decide flights and what airplanes to buy and what routes to do. On the Super Nintendo? On the Super Nintendo. And you got True Golf Classics, Pebble Beef Golf Links. This added elevation. I know that seems very minor, but keep in mind we're moving from the <laughs> NES to the SNES. And having just elevation win. in a golf game is actually really important because elevation <laughs> yes. is a huge part of golf. And we got Top Gear. I don't think any affiliation with the show. No, I got to say, it still feels fast to drive this car. Um, in 1992, that was really impressive. It's got a solid soundtrack, and you've got to manage your fuel, which is something a lot of uh, racing games don't have you do. And I only know because I think uh, one of, the, one of the, the theme song, Muse of the band, eventually had a song that sounded remarkably similar to a song on top. Who cares? The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past is out this week. Otherwise known in your Super Nintendo box as Zelda 3, which it was never called. But, uh, uh, the so to me, this is probably the best Super Nintendo game of all time. Ooh. It was, yep, yep, Gauntlet I'm going Trump. there, going there. Okay, to jump from Zelda to The Adventures of Link to this was such a huge thing yep. because this is only the third Zelda game. You know, for all we knew in 1992, the future of Zelda was going to be these weird 2D side-scrolling with RPG elements because that's what Zelda 2 was. But this makes it far more in-depth. It brings back the Zelda 1 overhead feel. It opens up so much of a huge world that you never had experienced in 1992 before. It's the foundation of every Zelda game and tell Breath of the Wild where you're going from dungeon to dungeon to get the item that allows you to pass a certain area to go to the next area, which allows you to get another item. It's the start of the Zelda timeline. This is when the Zelda timeline branches off. Zelda 2 was a direct sequel to Zelda 1. Link to the Past is in the past. 
So we've got that timeline going on. And personally, I I was the exact perfect age for this game. I was old (laughs) enough to understand everything completely, but young enough that the world felt real. This is where I started playing Zelda. I I couldn't understand Mm. the first one, but this this was so colorful and cute and easy to wrap your head around. And to, to me, to this day, I hate how Nintendo regards it as like weird non-canon, but it's like, I think this is the most accessible top-down Zelda game that anybody can get interested in. The other ones have some flaws and are sort of impenetrable and have some pacing issues, but this one is great and uh, still one of the best Zelda games ever made. If at all possible, you know, I recommend playing this as a 13-year-old, you know, where you have (laughs) infinite patience and are a free-time millionaire so you can fully explore the world and also live in that world in your head. Then explore the world again, but browner. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, because it had Dark World, which is a new thing at the time and just blew my mind. It tripled the size of Hyrule over previous Zelda games. Oh, yeah. It's 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 an amazing feat, and uh, many of the theme songs are still played in Zelda games today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, moving into books of 1992, The Bridges of Madison County by Robert James Waller is out to the delight Whoa. of yeah. women everywhere, I guess. And Clint Eastwood's happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a rare book that made it into pop culture before it was a movie. You would see references to Bridges of Madison County county in tv shows before it was a movie you know and that does not happen very often yeah well it sold something like 60 million copies Wow. (laughs) oh yeah it was quite beloved it's it's basically asking the questions how do people fit in you know it's about why is this woman finding this man because in finding each other they find themselves and it happens over a few days Mm -hmm. uh... i admit i've never read the book i think the movie's underrated Mm. I think Clint did a really, really good job. It was supposed to be it. Spielberg was circling it for a long time. And then uh, was like, yeah, you know, I'm also making Jurassic Park and I'm also making Schindler's List in the same year, so maybe not. Um, and then uh, Music of 1992, April 8th to the 14th, Say the Best for Last by Vanessa Neal Williams is still number one, but we also have new releases such as Pure by Goldflesh, uh, Bloodline by Recoil, Bricks Are Heavy by L7, Holy Smoke by Peter Murphy, Soul Rotation by the Dead Milkman, and The Woman uh, I Am by Shaka Khan as well as Off the Deep End by Weird Al, my first compact disc of all time. Ooh. Ooh. I, before See, I... I was just going to point out, like, how how big is Grunge and Nirvana? Nevermind came out six months ago. Yeah. Wow. Oh. Is it, Wow. Holy Whoa. Shit. Six months ago. Now the cover and a parody song by Weird Al. Whoa. Six that, months. That does seem very fast. I mean, yes. it's for... for yes, okay. Yeah, because the next album is like a MacArthur Park parody. <laughs> like, well, you took your time with that one. Yeah, I love that. This album, my, my yeah, my first CD ever. I, I just remember like, I don't have to fast forward through anything and jump right to the song. <laughs> Music will never get more accessible and easier than this. This compact disc, it's wonderful. I always imagine when my parents creeped out by a kid who just constantly rotated Weird Al songs. I have barely any knowledge of the stuff he's parodying. I don't have a Nirvana album yet. Mm. <laughs> and the other stuff that he's parodying is it's a bit older. I yeah. mean, it's it's more of a year or two older. You can't touch this or write stuff by new kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it it's like really a, vanilla. 
Yeah, it feels like a different era. But with that, let's close out with some Weird Al. Which song you want? Well, see, I mean, we have Smells Like Nirvana, which is fun. You Don't Love Me Anymore, I think, is one of his better original songs. Or we could do music from Link to the Past. I want Link to the Past either here or as the closing song, because it is still recognizable to this day. I don't care, and we'll do whatever we, we can do to close this out as fast. <laughs> some bad I weather. I say we but... do Link to the Past, then. Right, let's do it. Take you out from Link to the Past, but stay right there. We got 2002 right ahead. Are you a content creator like the good folks here at 302010? If so, I don't need to tell you how time-consuming it can be to go searching for that perfect video clip, image, sound, or piece of music to put the finishing touches on your latest project. How nice would it be to have a huge library of royalty-free content at your fingertips? Well, I have good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge, demand-driven library of 4K and HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all-access plan includes over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad. Whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's most important, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash 302010. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash 2002 with Cheryl Crow, Soak Up the Sun. I'm sure you've heard this song before. Oh my, am I tired of it. It is now like every single grocery store commercial. God damn, I hear this song a lot <laughs> during the summer. Cheryl Crow, she's not just for 1994 anymore. New releases April 8th through the 14th also include Can You Do Me Good by Del Amitri, 1000 Kisses by Patty Griffin, Are You Passionate by Neil Young and Booker T and the MGs. I'd never heard of that album. Good Health by Pretty Girls Make Graves. Yeah, there's a song off there that might be the most embarrassing thing Neil Young ever did, and he did an electronica album. (laughs) Ooh, okay. We we were going to go out with that. Yeah. Gutterflower by Goo Goo Dolls, Hammered by Motorhead, and How to Ruin Everything by Face to Face. Ain't It Funny by Jennifer Lopez featuring Ja Rule is still number one. Jesus Christ. I didn't know that that song had that much staying power. Lots of Pulitzer news this week. The prize for drama goes to Top Dog Underdog by uh, Susan Laurie Parks. And the prize for fiction goes to Empire Falls by uh, Richard. And also Pedro uh, Carmona Carmona? starts a short-lived coup against Hugo Chavez. Chavez returns to being El Presidente after being out of power for literally just one weekend. (laughs) Yeah, I I double-checked the dates. It was only the weekend. So, you know... (laughs) 
he essentially got a uh, a weekend off from being El Presidente. That seems like a goddamn blessing. Collapsed. And then Al Qaeda bombs. Uh, oh God, how do I say this? Griba. A Gri- Griba. A Griba yeah. synagogue bombing in Tunisia kills 21. Thanks, yep. There had been a synagogue on that site since the 6th century. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. I'm starting to we get, get around. Starting to get the feeling that this Al-Qaeda people may not be good people. Yep. And it turns out that was masterminded by Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who is, um, he just had his trial postponed at Guantanamo again because of COVID. He's been there this whole fucking time. I don't want him to get sick. Well, since like 2008 or so. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, fuck those guys. Fuck anyone who bums a religious site. Yeah. Let's go with that. Yeah. And uh, moving into movies of 2002 on that note, Adrian Grenier, Sarah Michelle Gellar, and Joey Lauren Adams in Harvard Man. Yeah, we get some weird ones. Mm-hmm. So, Harvard Man, I believe that's a James Toback thing. Toback's a creep, but it's about a basketball player for Harvard that like is bribed to throw a game and then most of the movie he is on acid and that has something to do with something and the reviews are pretty brutal. <laughs> Critics don't always know because they shit all, all over the next film, which for me yeah. was the follow-up to being John Malkovich, the second it script totally by is, Charlie yeah. Kaufman and a director I'd never heard of, Michelle Gondry, Miranda Otto, Tim Robbins, Reese Effens, uh, and Patricia Arquette in Human Nature. And it fe- still feels like the forgotten Charlie Kaufman movie. It totally is. Because mm-hmm. it, 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 it's weird, but it's it has its charms, but it's not as charming as, you know, adaptation or being John Malkovich or so much of his Eternal Sunshine. It, it just, it doesn't yeah. even look like a Michelle Gondry movie. It, it has no. none of that visual charm. It it, it feels like a, a much more Western film, and it's hmm. not as weird as it should be. Uh, I, I I I bought this on the Warner Brothers Snapcase DVD. Have I watched? Tried watching it a few years ago. I'm like, man, I really want to like this more. Tim Robbins training mice to have table manners and a <laughs> undiscovered caveman guy. <laughs> So I haven't seen this. I looked it up. Am I right in understanding this is a comedy trying to ask what is human by uplifting a proto-human? Yes. Yeah. And narrated okay. by a dead human in he- it's it's in hell? No, I don't I don't think it's it's super specific, mm-hmm. but it looks like okay. heaven. It, it's okay. It's weird, but it's like it's like not weird enough to become a classic in anybody's collection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Considering that it's about people like Patricia Arquette becomes like a cave woman. She just decides, fuck it, I'm throwing off society and I'm going to go live in the woods. And then there's another guy who lives in the woods and is about sociologists experimenting on them. Because she can't stop growing back here. Right. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a weird movie. Strange. It is really strange. Weird movie. Yeah. Speaking of, well, good weird movie. Um, good weird movie. Matthew McConaughey, Powers Booth, and Bill Paxton in Frailty. I believe Ooh. the only movie directed by the late great Bill Paxton. No, I think it's the first. He also did that oh, did golf he? movie. Oh, yeah. Okay. But God damn. Oh, it does make oh. me sad. I would love to see more. I wish he had directed more stuff because this is a disturbing fucking horror movie. Yeah. Well, it's is the dad killing people in front of his kids? Yes. Or is he killing demons in front of his kids? That is a messed up thing to explore in film because either you know these demons are real or it's just a father having a psychotic breakdown and bringing his kids along for 
his descent into depravity. Or is yeah. our narrator completely unreliable? <laughs> and mm-hmm. but whatever, it's a fun, fun movie, like a, a fun small movie. I, I I really gave it up to Bill Paxton back in the day for making this because it's so weird. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's disturbing, but in in that Charlie Kaufman way of so much more than human nature of like afterwards you just spend a lot of time thinking about how that worked and wait was that this thing and it's like there aren't clear answers like this could all be a lie or this part could be a lie Mm -hmm. or maybe there really are demons and yeah it's it's such a good small horror movie that the horror is very like internal like yeah, the idea of killing the people in front of your kids because God told you to. And it's, uh, it's like just... killing people because God told you to is already really fucking disturbing. And now you, it's like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, but with kids. And I, I and... just wanted to applaud it because I don't know how Bill Paxton came to like, I want this to be the movie I direct first where Bill Paxton's <laughs> like your Republican dad's favorite actor. Like he was practically born in like a military suit. How did he... What? He doesn't even act in this genre. <laughs> how, how did the dude who was killed by a Terminator, killed by a Predator, and killed by a Xenomorph decide that this yes. is the film he wants to branch out into directing in? Yeah. I don't know. It's it's really, really odd to tell a film about a, if you go from this interpretation, a serial killer mm-hmm. from his child's point of view. What was it like growing up with a serial killer dad? Yeah, uh, fuck, uh, big recommend for me. Yeah, it, it barely got a theatrical release. And it's one of those that sort of grew on DVD. And people are like, have yeah. you heard of this? This is fucking serious, man. Yeah. This is not just some cheapo whatever movie. This was good. Yeah, and I think I think it, if you Google it, it still comes with a 2001 date because it was very slowly released. And this is its biggest push. Um, Not like the next two movies, which had huge pushes, such as uh, the movie with Frank Grillo, Parker Posey, Jason Bateman, uh, Thomas Jane, Selma Blair, Christina Applegate, and Cameron Diaz. It's the sweetest thing. The romantic comedy of the spring has arrived. Hi. If you liked my best friend's wedding. No. Yes. And there's something about Mary. You'll love the sweetest thing. Oh, thank you. Comic gem, sweet and genuinely hilarious. I wish there was some sort of sign that we belong together. You're sitting on his face. He's so cute. The sweetest thing. Man, this marketing is <laughs> not doing uh, the movie a good service. I, is this a good movie? No. No. <laughs> no. I find it funny that we get to talk about the Farrelly's another 10 years in the next segment. Mm-hmm. Doing it not as Farrelly thing. And this is really trying to be a Farrelly Brothers movie. And it's... I feel embarrassed for so many of the people in it because like everyone in it is really good and they just it's trying so hard to be like a sexy but also gross out thing. like there there's a point where someone's piercing gets stuck in someone's mouth so um yeah she's stuck giving a blow job and has to sing to get it off her tonsils and all her friends gather around to help her do this it's so dumb yeah, yeah. It, it was, it was, I mean, I was just looking at the wiki and like, it paved the way for things like Bridesmaids, but like, no. I mean, I I don't remember a rated R, like an American pie strictly for the ladies kind of thing. Okay. And, and yeah. I, I don't remember that happening before. And it's written by a former South Park writer, Nancy Pimentel. And if you remember huh. 
when Jimmy Kimmel quit when Ben Stein's money and a woman took over for her, that's her. And that's like the, but that TV show is like the only time she was ever on camera. Uh, she, I think she acted some things, but I was watching Comedy Central all the time. So like, that's how I, oh, a movie written by this woman who has a kind of gross sense of humor and interesting. And no, it's, it's. I appreciate that. I appreciate that it's it's written by a woman. That mm. a woman wrote the joke of someone looking through a glory hole and then having a dick hit them in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's just like yeah, I mean, there's like a couple jokes that land, and like Cameron Diaz and Christina Applegate and Selma Blair, like they're all so fun and they all have moments. But man, I thought this movie sucked. Yeah, and seeing. Uh... Ebert and Roper put on their worst of 2002. It did not review well critically. I just, I remember seeing the reviews. I'm like, this could be the kind of thing that years from now will be mm. celebrated because critics are never kind of comedies, especially gross out comedies. Um, but yeah, uh, no, no, it wasn't to be. It's a, nope. kind of forgotten, but it's, it's yep. whatever it is, it's a rare version of that, <laughs> that if you're looking for something obscure and... That's a good point. There are yeah. ickier things to watch this week because you could watch Toxic Masculinity, the movie with uh, the next <laughs> number one of the box office film, Richard Jenkins, Amanda Peet, William Hurt, Sidney Pollock, Tony Collette, Samuel L. Jackson, and Ben Affleck in Changing Lanes. An ambitious attorney. Take this file over the courthouse. A dedicated father. I found a house for Valerie and for the boys. Now. Come on, man, don't leave me out here like right, this. Better luck next time. One moment will change everything. I had an orange file. You said better luck next time. Ben Affleck. All right, do it. The computer says you're bankrupt. No, what I can do to you? Samuel L. Jackson. You have the power to turn this on. You have the power to turn it off. Changing lanes. Oh, changing lanes. I'll just say this right now. Way better than I expected. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Changing lanes. The story of two men who, in any other decade going on, a polite mishap, but then who <laughs> set up a set up, set about ruining one another's lives. It seems like it could have been done as a comedy, and we never would have noticed. Yeah, actually, yes. I'm kind of surprised there isn't, there probably is, honestly, some sort of comedy version of this with the one-upsmanship. But yeah, Ben Affleck is a snooty lawyer, Samuel L. Jackson. In doing a performance that you're not used to seeing him doing, he's a very quiet, restrained mm -hmm. guy for most of the movie. Like, he feels, like, really beaten down, but trying, goddammit. And they, you know, get in the small accident, and Samuel L. Jackson gets a hold of Ben Affleck's, you know, important legal documents, and... Affleck runs off and he wants to get his file back. And so you get this back and forth of them trying to ruin each other's lives yeah. pretty horribly. Yeah. And a comedy, they're like, I put all your furniture out on the front lawn. This is like, I destroyed your credit permanently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then along the way, Ben Affleck realizes like, oh, wait, the legal stuff I was supposed to be doing is like super corrupt and illegal. And I work for a bunch of bastards. But how he handles that is very interesting. Like how... How he finds out, like he knows we're like a big fancy law firm, so we we do some shady shit. He learns how shady and how deep it is into his life, like real fast. <laughs> Where even his wife is showing him, like, yeah, could you do the fraud, please, and just end this? Okay, bye. I love you. So Sidney Pollock and Richard Jenkins, this is like super shady bosses, and you you you're waiting for the change of heart. And you're waiting for the comeuppance, and I feel like it's kind of more realistic that he doesn't just like. You're out of order. The whole system's out of order. It's like, oh, I, all that shit I just did to Samuel Jackson, I will now do to you. Mm. It's it's a subtler turn. I guess my big complaint is Tony Collette and William Hurt are both in this, and they are like way overpowered as actors for how small their roles are. Yeah, I'm just waiting for them to do something. You keep waiting for them to, to turn. 
I was behind the evil law firm the whole time, says William Hurt, in his William Hurtiest like, voice. No, no, he's not. He's, you know, he's just his AA sponsor. He's just, just trying to be helpful and but tell yeah, him, I, like, yeah, this is bad. Uh, don't do this. You're doing bad things. But yeah, the escalation was, like, nightmarish. Yeah, and this... uh I was just looking that it was it, it made a pretty substantial amount of money. It's just I've never ever seen it anywhere again. I, I've never heard anybody talk about it again, and it reviewed very well too. Yeah. By contrast, it, Ro- Ebert put it on his best of the year. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and I I like that. I don't know why. I think because I just only I didn't see it twenty years ago. I only saw it this week. Mm-hmm. I kind of assumed it was going to be like a race thing. Mm, sure. And no. That's, that's just sort of under the surface, mm-hmm. but it does not become like a polemic. Yeah, it's more about class than about yeah. race. Like some and people pe- are working really fucking hard and it doesn't take much for them to get fucked over by rich assholes with fancy haircuts. Changing Lights, I think it's on HBO right now. Okay. Or something like that. And yeah, this is actually a solid watch. And uh, moving on to television of 2002, we got Futurama's 30% Iron Chef episode. We are in the golden age of Futurama. Which I mean... Every episode is a banger. This is a bit of a parody of Iron Chef, and I'm not sure how well known that was in 2002. I feel like it's a bit of a deep pull. Yeah, yeah. I think the Food Network was showing them dubbed from Japan. But yeah, the show had, the show had been on the air somehow before that. I think it became popular through the Food Network. So right, mm-hmm. but it was before, I think before we had an American version yeah. of Iron Chef. Uh, Bender wants to become a chef, but he has no sense of taste, and he give up any one of his eight other senses, including <laughs> schmerg, <laughs> to be able to <laughs> taste. And uh, he learns nothing, which I always love about Bender. Uh, there's one point when the Iron Chef says to him, Domo Arigato, Mr. Roboto. <laughs> which... Is this is this the episode that introduces their Emerald character? Which no, I think he's no. been around. I, I yeah. just I watching he comes on pretty early. some of the recent more recent episodes of Futurama. I'm like, wow, this parody of Emerald lasted way longer than Emerald <laughs> on Futurama. And, uh, it does have a line that I will quote if I'm cooking something more complicated than hot dogs, which is like, no, I reject I reject the title of Iron Chef and prefer Zinc Saucier. <laughs> <laughs> which I just made up now and comes with uh, 10 times the prize money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they make a rare slam at Oregon. So I spent most of my life in Oregon and pre-Portlandia. We almost never got mentioned on national television. <laughs> so it was like the case of, oh my gosh, they know we exist. This is amazing. Welcome to Bombay Alpha, the biggest hobo jungle in the quadrant. Yeah. I've seen bigger. Oh, wait. I'm thinking of Eugene, Oregon. Accurate. (laughs) Bam, indeed. Uh, Also this week, Eco Challenge ends. Yeah, so this is considered the start of reality TV challenges. It came out in 1995. It's a highlight of a 300-mile endurance trek by foot, kayak, horse, mountain bike, and other means over various ecological uh, landscapes with a, you know, pro-environmentalist message. Mm, Probably not enough infighting. And also this week, we got the TV movie The Pilot's Wife, where a pilot dies in a plane crash and his widow uh, finds out he had another wife and kids in another country. (laughs) So, you know, I'm, I'm against lying to two separate wives and pretending that you don't have two wives to them that's wrong but on some level 
if you can pull that off, God damn, yeah. do I admire the fuck out of you. I mean, I've got one family and it's tiring and you do two without them knowing it. I have no I family mean, and my wife, my life feels unmanageable. So I just don't know how this person <laughs> is juggling in another. How do you even explain the phone bill in 2002? <laughs> because you're a pilot and you're oh. like, yeah, I have to call the other country because that's where my boss is. On the other hand, I do you sort of wish you had like a alternate reality you could slip into every so often? Hmm. I get that. Hmm. I, I can't afford it, so I'm yeah. not going to do it, and I don't recommend it. But if you're doing it, write into the show. Let us know. Do you I have understand <laughs> having a piece on the side? I, I don't understand having a whole family. Yeah. That's just, that's just a pain. Yeah, it's just work. Yeah, and it seems like no one's getting the best of anything. Why are you doing this? Uh, Damn you, Campbell Scott. <laughs> Sorry, I just looked up the cast. It's Christine Lundy and Campbell Scott. Also this week, the Six Feet Under episode, Back to the Garden. So this features a guy who comes and leaves at the same time. Uh, oh, I remember him. Yeah, yeah. It's auto asphyxiation. He has the funeral at the Fisher's place instead of the Jewish temple because they think he may have committed suicide. But they're not sure if it was just a auto asphyxiation gone wrong or if it was gone right. Mm. I'm confused. And, uh, Either way, I'm going to try it when the show's over, just to... <laughs> no, no, don't do that. It's the most embarrassing way to die. Yeah, the most yeah. embarrassing way to be found. Yeah, exactly. And uh, at that funeral, Nate totally wants to bone the rabbi. I mean, right. Nate is a bit of a spiritual slut. It's like, mm -hmm. ooh, hey there. Here you got a nice little spirituality going down. Yeah, you, got, you and I get together. You got a nice little body and answers. Yeah. <laughs> you, uh, how about you validate me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, but there's a beautiful line that I thought where Nathan is flailing about in his relationship. So he asked the rabbi what she thinks a soulmate is. And she says she thinks a soulmate is the person who helps you become the most you you can be. The person who forces your soul to grow the most. And I thought Aww. that was sweet. That's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's great being single. King of the Hill this week. <laughs> Man without a country club. Hank is quasi tricked into joining an all Asian golf club because they're worried about losing their PGA status for not having any diversity. <laughs> and I haven't watched much King of the Hill, but I've started watching it for the show and I've yet to encounter an episode that wasn't like, damn, mm -hmm. that was good. I'm glad I'm going to watch that. It holds um, up surprisingly well. I'm, uh, I, I think I've watched a total of like 15 episodes in total. But I may choose it for my TV marathon when I'm recovering from surgery. Ooh. Yeah. It seems like yeah. a light, easy watch that I can just kind of zone in and zone out, you know? Yeah. It's one of those shows that show went on forever. I can't say I've seen a bad episode. Yeah. There's some that are better I, I, than others. There's some that I, I, I chuckled once instead of five times. But yeah, it's... I. I to sell it to people, if you like Bob's Burgers, I feel there like King go. of the Hills. It's kind of the same thing, where it's like, it's always light and pleasant, generally funny or interesting. And apparently, but it's never awful. Apparently, it's coming back. We're going to get new King of the but, Hill episodes uh, soon. But Ooh. Leanne. Yeah, I know Leanne. Maybe she's Leanne dead. Back. Maybe, oh, <laughs> Maybe she's dead on the show. Uh, I love Brittany Murphy's voice in that. No games to speak of uh, in this episode. It's early March. Sometimes that happens, but let's. Uh, we're gonna go out with. Oh boy, uh, yep. what's up with this song? I told you, Neil Young embarrassing himself. Let's roll his 9/11 song about <laughs> Flight 93, oh. which 
look, Flight 93 is a very inspiring story. And mm -hmm. if you just wanted to tell that story, that would be fine. But there are parts of the song about we're going to basically, he basically says, let's go over to Afghanistan and pull them out of their holes and shoot them. And huh. I'm not okay with that, Neil Young. And I was embarrassed then and I'm more embarrassed now. That, that seems very not like Neil Young anyway. Yeah. When and the, I remember very clearly the very first time I heard this song, I was driving home from work and all I could think about was the movie Wag the Dog. Mm. I was like, did no one else watch Wag the Dog? <laughs> because that has the same fucking thing of like, let's have an inspiring song about stuff. Oh, God. Post 9-11 was weird. It was a weird time. Well, we're going to subject you to it as we take it out of a very short, comparatively, 2002 segment. But, oh, boy, get ready. 2012 has a lot in store. Don't move. One standing in the highway. Two more at the door. We got to get inside there before they kill some more. Time's around. Let's roll. Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of April 8th through 14th, things sort of tie in to stuff we are talking about. So let's start with 75 years ago this week saw the release of Monsieur Verdu, which is a Charlie Chaplin sound film that is a pitch black comedy because it's about a couple things that we just talked about. It's about a guy who's got multiple families and he is a serial killer <laughs> to support his lifestyle. Story by Orson Welles, then written and directed, starring Charlie Chaplin. And it's actually pretty funny. It is extremely dark, especially for 1947. People were like shocked that it would just treat, you know, being a, a black widower as so lightly. But also it still has some very physical comedy, even though, you know, it's so much past Charlie Chaplin's silent prime. And yeah, it kind of gets overlooked by, you know, Chaplin folks tend to think of, you know, modern times or city lights. And I think Monsieur Verdu is totally worth a watch. But man, it's dark. And then even older than 75 years ago, 80 years ago this week, saw the release of Scarface, The Shame of a Nation, because we used to know how to name things. Yeah, it's the original Scarface, the one directed by Howard Hawks, based on a book starring Paul Muni and Anne Dvorak. George Raff, Boris Karloff pops up in there. And yeah, speaking of things that kind of might shock you as like what you think about older movies being like, the original Scarface, which obviously is remade with the, the Al Pacino version, which credits the original. It's dedicated to the folks that made the original, which is just weird after that bloodbath at the end. But it's inspired by Al Capone, and it's completely contemporary to 1932. This is some rip from the headline stuff. Capone is literally on trial for the tax evasion that would put him away when this film came out. And 1932, like, I think it comes in just before they start putting the censorship code in. So I think you'll be kind of shocked. It gets really violent. And real mean just mean-spirited like this guy is a full-on psychopath and yeah if you've only seen the al pacino version over and over go back and check out the the 32 version i mean it's it's nice and short movies back then you know 
they topped 90 minutes, it was considered an epic. This one's about that. And, I mean, no one's going to get cut up with the chainsaw, but the 1930s version of that, I guess. So, yeah, that's my recommend. Watch the original Scarface. I think you'll be shocked at how mean old movies can be. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming in 2012 with Drive-By by Train off of California 37. That is the song Drive-By by the band Train off of the album California 37. It confuses me in my head, and I don't like to talk about Train. I, like, I like to minimize the amount of time I talk about Train. Well, they're, they're dipping into gangster rap. It's their version of Cop Killer. No. <laughs> Welcome to 2012, April 8th to the 14th. Some albums you might have had that came out this week Underwater Sunshine or what we did on our summer vacation by the Counting Crows True Defiance by Demon Hunter The Strange Case of by Hailstrom uh, The Fatal Feast by Municipal Waste Pluto by Future and uh, Love's a Four Letter Word by Jason Mraz uh, We Are Young by Fun featuring Janelle Monet is still number one Whew, there's a lot of ground to cover in music this week Jesus because the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction is also happening as well yep. and it's it's very heavily very early influential music mm -hmm. so as we go through them i can sing you a snippet of things so oh. that you know what we're talking about because if i just say gene vincent and the blue caps you don't know but if i say bebop balula you know Jeez, my, all right all right what about bill haley in the comments rock around the clock tonight yeah all right back to the future yeah, music right. i can dig it the crickets well it's buddy holly oh <laughs> donovan Shine came softly through my window today. I would have done something from a Goodfellas soundtrack, but teach their own. Okay, uh, fine. The Famous Flames. The Famous Flames, people used to call them James Brown's band. No, James Brown was the Famous Flames' singer. Mm. They were mm. a band, and then he joined. Okay. The Midnighters. Um, oh, we stumped Diana. So, Good. No, it's finger pop. In time. Ooh, 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 ooh. It's the song that the twist stole. Oh, Laura, what about Laura Nero? <laughs> this seems like it's getting the less um, old, old time. Wedding by blues. <laughs> Smallest small faces slash faces. Uh, Ichiku Park. I got high. Sure. Smokey Robbins and the Miracles. I. If you don't know who they are, I'm going to punch you in the face. Yeah, think the end of Guardians. <laughs> Tears of a Clown. Or Tracks of My Tears. Two songs about crying. There you go. Guns and Roses of Chinese democracy fame. Give us a little Chinese Obviously. democracy. Some Shackler's no. Revenge. No. Uh, <laughs> Red Hot Chili Peppers. Dig a Dong to Big Bone Burbank. Uh, and then nope. Beastie Boys. I'm telling y'all it's sabotage. There you go. There. There you go. Uh, and then yeah. trying so, to... Yeah, I mean, very lots of very old-timey stuff. Smokey Robinson and the Miracles was over... Do, and then uh, it's a oh. debate of whether or not Beastie Boys belong there. Uh, rap group. I mean, they're but white, so they got, it got rock them played and on. Roll is a very they use a very very broad. Got them, got them played on uh, white radio, rock radio for a very long time. Just the skin That's color. True. Okay, so it's odd. Other than future, that like none of that felt ten years ago modern. So we're going to bring you back in with uh, to 2012 with April 8th to the 14th of the internet meme that is 10 years old. 
Uh, ain't nobody got time for that. Mm -hmm. I got bronchitis. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd never heard the full speech before researching for this show. I'd heard ain't nobody got time for that. And maybe I hadn't heard it. Maybe I only saw the picture with the text, honestly. Mm. But, you know, it's been part of my vernacular for 10 years now. Here's the original clip. And it describes her horrifying experience when she first realized the complex was on fire. Well, I woke up to go get me a cold pop. Then I thought somebody was barbecuing. I said, oh, Lord Jesus, it's a fire. (laughs) Then I ran out. I didn't grab no shoes or nothing, Jesus. I ran for my life. And then the smoke got her. I got bronchitis. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> I feel like Kimmy Schmidt's about to start. Uh, <laughs> her building is on fire, and her concern is I don't have time for smoke right now. I have bronchitis. <laughs> and uh, Jennifer Lopez and Mark Anthony divorce after seven years. Mark Anthony. No. Uh, There's a rumor that Mark Anthony had an affair with Jada Smith, and that's why they broke up. Um, ooh. Ooh, he can't tell. He probably signed that NDA. I wonder if he got smacked. And that has been the extent of my tryout for the Jimmy Kimmel monologue. We spoke earlier how Disney did not have a Broadway wing. Now it's a massive Broadway wing because uh, The Lion King becomes the highest grossing Broadway show ever overtaking the fan of the opera. Uh, wow. I'm not exactly happy about this. I actually mm-hmm. quite enjoy the Disney musicals in and of themselves, mm-hmm. but I don't like how dominant film is on Broadway. I really mm-hmm. thought Broadway should gross. be its own thing, not Shrek the musical, which is yeah. really big and really popular. And it's just, I don't think that's the point of Broadway. Me I neither. think Broadway, you can do better. And the SpongeBob musical. Yeah, that's it's why, I, why is it? 30-year-old failed film debuting on Broadway. Is any franchise better than no franchise? What is this medium doing? 100% it. Brand recognition is super important these days. You know, as the monoculture collapsed, the monoculture became incredibly valuable. Anything Mm -hmm. that was big when it was big for everyone is worth so much more than something that's big for the tiny segment of the fractured community of its niche audience today. Yeah. You know, it's so weird for Broadway, though. There used to be musicals based on movies, Mm -hmm. but they would change the title. Like, they did Mm -hmm. not have All About Eve, the musical. They called it Applause. They didn't have The Apartment, the Broadway musical. They called it, was it Promises, Promises? Is that any good? Because I love The Apartment, but I've never heard of Promises, Promises. I've heard it's pretty good. I think Mm -hmm. it's uh, Hal David Burbacarin. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, but it's not, you know, one of those giant hits that everybody knows. So, I mean, they used to just do that, but lie and now they have to use the brand name and so many things that don't need to be musicals god damn it matilda's fine i love matilda leave matilda (laughs) i love spongebob i don't think it needs to be a broadway musical i don't think it needs to be (laughs) non-animated ever also this week rick santorum suspends his candidacy for republican presidential nomination thereby clearing a path for mitt romney um, yeah, it was inevitable. After he left, it was real. It, he didn't quite have the math, but there was no chance he wasn't going to get the math after that. Yeah, uh, you're now moved. ten years later. He's like the last regular Republican. Regular Republican. With, yeah, the rest of the party's been taken over by well. Honestly, people like Rick Santorum. Crazy <laughs> motherfuckers who hate gays. Yeah, that's why he got, you know, his name means something else now. Google it. It's fun. Mm-hmm. And yes. and this, and, and near and dear to, I think, all of our hearts, the biggest news yeah, this week. the big news for us. Is the Chevy Chase community voicemail is leaked. And by leaked, I think 
he played it live yeah. at a Harmontown show. Or no, Harman. no. So Dan Harmon is actually a very, very poor manager. He played oh, for Chevy Chase's angry voicemail in front of Chevy Chase and the entire cast at a party. Cast and crew oh. at a rap party cast for the season. And Chevy's Chase's family was there as well. Oh, While Dave Harmon got the cast and crew to chant, fuck you, Chevy. <gasps> so there's an old managerial saying, praise in public, critique in private. And there is no way that this was in any way a good managerial strategy to take. It's just being pure ego or id. I always get those two mixed up and not thinking with your head. Okay, so that I'm trying to, but eventually a vo- he plays a voicemail on like a private podcast show that then hits the internet. I think well, that's what, uh, what I think. I think that's a response. He played it at the party and people were recording it, and then that recording leaked. No, I think I let I, let's hear no, the email. I think, let, yeah, I think Jr. might be right because I think I've heard versions of where you hear other people talking. No, 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 but then, I, but in, in his so. his voicemail is about playing the other voicemail in front of his family and cast and crew. Is it not? Mm. Maybe. Uh, look, we have a well, clip. Let's play. Let's hear it. Yeah. All See what I'm saying? Like the voicemail is about the incident oh, yeah. you described. Okay. Two voicemails? I guess there's two voicemails. Wow. We need to get to the bottom of this. We need a full research team. Or not. Or not. Because like it's it it all got resolved with Dan Harmon killing off Chevy Chase's character and them firing Dan Harmon eventually. And then and then the show came back without Chevy Chase and Dan Harmon. And yep. I, I I love the Man. Pierce character. I think Chevy Chase is great on that show. It's it's some of the best acting he's ever done the pierce character was a perfect fit i can't speak to chevy chase as a man but he absolutely made community a better show by being on it he's a hundred he's an absolute asshole and Mm -hmm. uh which he'll kind of say himself he gave a interview kind of uh, i almost love that interview (laughs) i'm an asshole but i'm old and i i I, it's too late to change and i don't regret anything i've done like all right at least you're aware of that yeah rewatching community after all of this went down and realizing like chevy chase seems like he's a very egotistical guy and he is the villain on most episodes oh he is and uh, that must be hard on him and that doesn't mean that he gets to behave like a dick but well he has thoughts on why that's the case let's play Uh that clip of why he thinks here we go uh, he's the villain hard to believe that you don't understand that there's this perception of you as being that way it's jealousy i've said that to you before but it's like you can't really say that did you just say that writers writing anything negative is jealousy yeah i did what kind of jealousy i'm funnier than them yeah i guess maybe i'm considered good looking yeah there you have it i 
I can't tell if he's a comedic genius or it's so deluded in the asshole everybody paints him out to be. He's ruined so many projects for himself and others. I, I believe him not being on the show probably got Community canceled. Just yeah, to... I, I think it did. And Community is good. It's not as good in season four as it was season one to three. It's yeah. just... And yeah, Chevy Chase is, is pretty much to blame for being an asshole, but Dan Harmon bears some brunt of that oh, yeah. for not mm-hmm. being a better manager. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he, he Chase was not behaving asshole. like an adult. He, they keep he, escalating. It's fucking changing lanes in real life. No, because if you remember, Chevy <laughs> Chase would give interviews and like I, he would slam the quality of the show in interviews. Like, yeah. so professionalism was not going around as much as no, it wasn't I, just a one way street. With, I'm not taking Chevy's side in this. I'm just saying that as a manager, there is no reasonable excuse for behaving the way Dan Harmon ex- yeah. behaved in that instance. It's true. It, it's just not. Yeah. But, and Chevy Chase said the N-word on set. <laughs> Again, I'm not defending Chevy Chase. I'm I know. really not. I don't want it to seem like I am. Dan Harmon, as shocking as it may be, may have some issues himself. Yeah. Great follow, though, on social media. Yeah. Moving on from Chevy Chase being an asshole, which I think is is settled. The Hunger Games is no more at the box office as we move into the movies of 2012, April 8th through the 14th. Uh, a movie I've never heard of, but now I want to know everything about. Uh, Samantha Weinstein, Jason Sp- Bavak, uh, Michael Sheen, and Tony Collette, and Jesus Henry Christ. I always wonder yep. what that H stood for. <laughs> yeah, good question. Yeah, so this is like an expanded version of a student film about a woman who's artificially, okay. I think she's artificially inseminated, and then her kid starts looking for their father, and she's not cool with that, and it sounds, reviews weren't nice, and I didn't have time, mm-hmm. um, even though I love all these people. Um, I didn't have time for Vincent Reagan, uh, Joe Gilgun, Jenny, uh, Lenny James, Peter Stormare, Maggie Grace, and Guy Pearson, Lockout. Well, Lockout. you missed out. Did I? Kind of. Yeah. Uh, Lockout is a good, bad movie. So it's about a orbiting supermax prison, and the only expert who can examine this supermax prison is the president's daughter. And wouldn't you know it, she gets captured. You know, personally, I like this movie better when it was called Escape from New York. Well, so did Joan Carpenter, and he sued, and he won some money. <laughs> Deservedly <laughs> so. It seriously is just Escape from New York in space at a super space prison. But it's a good bad movie. I mostly appreciate it because Guy Pierce's character feels like he's wandered in from some other movie and is very <laughs> self-aware and sarcastic about all this like why am I in this stupid bullshit premise? Oh. It's like it's like his character became safe, self-aware that he's in a movie. Or more um, or a more sophisticated Snake Plissken. I can see where the trouble yeah, comes from. Exactly. He's mm-hmm. a more sophisticated Snake Plissken. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's not a lot else to say except, yeah, it's a, it's a oh. good bad movie. I do want to throw in fun. that the CGI looks so bad. There's a CGI motorcycle that it's just like, ugh. Mm-hmm. I, most <laughs> CGI ages like milk. And I know someday we'll get to a point where CGI just like plateau and it won't look bad 10 years later but we are not there yet you don't think so all no cgi from 10 years ago with with some exceptions but they're rare just looks bad and 10 years is you know not that far away i, I some of the some of the stuff in the more recent marvel movies like uh 
Oh, I didn't know that was CG at all until really? I was told later on. And I do I'm like, I think that might stand a chance 10 years later. Maybe we might be there now, but we were not there in uh, 2012. True. I can say that. And then why would you do with a motorcycle? Just because like how expensive is a CG motorcycle compared to a fucking motorcycle? Get a regular motorcycle, know. put some plastic yeah. on it. Now we're in the future. Yeah. Lockout. This movie, I do get it confused a lot with there's an, another like space prison movie, but turns out it's not a space prison with the uh, Schwarzenegger and Stallone. I'm blanking with ah, uh, Escape Plan, uh, right? Which is also pretty good. That movie. Title should have been made 25 years before it was made. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's also like a good bad movie with prison escape shit. So yes. yeah, Lockout. It's like technically recommending it, I suppose, but not because it's good. Because well, it's funny. I mean, speaking of good bad movies. Mm -hmm. uh, the next movie is one of go. my favorites of the decade. Jennifer Hudson, Sofia Vergara, Stephen Collins, Larry David, Jane Lynch, Will Sasso, Sean Hayes, and uh, Chris Diamantopoulos. Diamant I, 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 oh, it's too Greek. Yeah, it. uh, it's the Fairley Brothers Three Stooges movie. <laughs> they were abandoned Hello. and forgotten. It's a shame they were never adopted. Is that Sister Mary Mangle? I don't know, but the face rings a bell. No. What's it going to take to save this place? A lot of this. How many boogers we talking about? The world. They haven't experienced anything. Yet. Won't know what hit. <laughs> the Three Stooges. <laughs> oh, I read about this movie being made for years, and I just mm. couldn't wait to see it. And the, the cast was a... Man, Sean Penn is Larry Fine, and Benicio Del Toro is Moe, and Johnny Knoxville was Moe for a little while. <laughs> And, and uh, Jim Carrey walked away from this film. He did. He was supposed to be mm. curly because they wanted him to gain weight. He's like, <laughs> I'm very skinny. Curly was very big. I don't mm. think I can do that. But the Fairley Brothers, it's it's a passion project. It didn't do well. It didn't review well. But is it is everything you would ever want from a Three Stooges movie. It is perfect. I will give mm. it that. Yeah. I, will, <laughs> I watched it, and I'm not a Stooges fan, but I can appreciate that if you are a Stooges fan, this is the best Three Stooges big-budget movie you could possibly get. I don't see how you could make a better movie and still have it be a Three Stooges movie. <laughs> yeah. So I was, when they were saying, like, oh, Sean Penn is attached or Jim Carrey is attached, I thought it was going to be about, a biopic. Yeah, about the Three Stooges. Which... Should probably be made because it is a very interesting story, but I have trouble faulting it except that, I mean, they just do Three Stooges stuff for 90 minutes in a modern setting. I mean, they remake Three Stooges stuff, so if you're super but, stooged up, you could be bored by some of this. Yeah, there, but there is the, my problem is... Slapstick. Yeah. yeah. I guess my problem is my tolerance for the Three Stooges runs about 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And that's like, uh, like so many things, it's just better in small chunks and just wears on me if it goes on too long. Like, like I, th I think I've said previously, I would go to animation revival shows and there is something exhausting about watching like 15 Bugs Bunny cartoons in a row. They're not really, yeah. they were never meant to be consumed it, like that. It, it was not yeah. a binge thing. And 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 the Three Stooges. The one reel that runs before a movie. And he, here's what I will, I'll say about the Stooges. I got a good thesis here. Little history on the Stooges. They made short films for Columbia. They came from vaudeville. Blah 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 blah. But basically, they were never told how successful they were. They were never told how much money they were bringing in, and were paid very very little. They were constantly shooting shorts. And then once the shorts were sold to television, they became very 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 household names. In their 60s. And then they started filming movies. And those are some of the worst things you have 
ever seen. <laughs> Stooge's shorts, I find sometimes close to flawless. I just, very silly human cartoon stuff, but the 60-year-old men trying to do that, but they can't really do that anymore. So there are, I think, half a dozen Three Stooges movies out there. This is the best Three Stooges movie ever made, and it's made to be like the shorts. And please don't watch Three Stooges Meet Hercules or Three Stooges in Outer Space. I did (laughs) recently. I assure you I'm the authority on this show. Don't watch those. They're bad. But if you have a hankering, it's it's hard to have a hankering for the Stooges because they were always on when I was little. And even at like 4 a.m. when I, before I canceled my cable, I'd see them on like IFC and stuff. They'd, They'd be on Sundance Channel. The Stooges were everywhere, so like I've almost never missed them. See, that's what I always remember about the Stooges, is it was just on. I mm-hmm. never once ever deliberately tried to watch the Three Stooges in my entire life. It was always just like, I guess I'll watch this. Well, when, but... when, when JR and I were kids, they would shoehorn them in between like cartoons, which mm-hmm. I'll yeah. be even back then, I wanted to watch more than the Stooges. But I do also remember my dad losing his shit. Like he's he's the perfect age. He bought a Jesse Mo shirt. I love that it's it's crystal. It's yeah, it's crystallized in that Wayne's World sketch with Aerosmith. And then when he got tired of wearing it, I wore that shit to school uh, in middle school for like three years. The, I, I just I have a deep affection for the Three Stooges, and I can say the movie does too. And it sacrifices mm-hmm. things that would maybe make it more palatable or more watchable or more successful in order to make an authentic Three Stooges movie. And they did. And every, all three of those characters, Chris Diastamistopoulos, Great Mo, Sean Hayes, I believe coached by Billy West to do as perfect Larry Fine is incredible. And mm. Will Sasso, who is one of my favorite underrated funniest people who's ever lived, does a great curly. I think this movie is great. And the cameos are wonderful. Snooky, Larry David is a nun. Where else are you going to get that? Which would fit with the old school Stooge humor. Yes. You know, yeah. Larry David would completely fit in an old school Stooge short. Yeah. Yep. And, and these are, the movie is basically three shorts put together. I've never seen a movie, honestly, that looks so Atlanta in my life because it is very clearly <laughs> shot in Atlanta and it just, the most Atlantically of Atlanta set movies I've ever seen. Could you reboot the Stooges for a streaming thing where it's no. just shorts? It's like, here's a 10 minute thing. No, they tried, they tried a billion nice. times and yeah. it, no, never, no. never. And, and like, and I just, I was at a flea market and I bought the DVDs, threw it on like, man, like I don't crack up all the way through, but like three times per short is a real hard, unexpected laugh. That shit is still mm-hmm. really good. Really good, and it's yep. and it's it's at its best when it's sexist and violent, <laughs> and and so I don't see how do you ever resurrect this? I don't know, but this is a minor miracle because it's a PG movie that is one of the most violent things you'll ever see. <laughs> wow, and it does end with a you know He Man uh, coming out. Don't try this at home, kids. This is a fake hammer. Because I guess they were worried about that. But yeah, yeah, it was a little odd to see that. I did Google a little, and apparently 2022 is the 100th anniversary of the Three Stooges. They performed in vaudeville in 1922, but I couldn't find an exact date because it's vaudeville. They didn't Mm -hmm. have, oh, like, this is the first... It this was like the they, they were part of a, a guy and his three stooges. See, they were part yeah. of somebody. They were yeah. a smaller part of somebody else's act and yeah. then spun it off. They oh. appreciate in the movie that they don't have that horrible feeling when you're watching a bunch of stooge, watching a bunch of shorts and comes on and you're like, oh, no, it's a curly Joe Dorita one. 
because the lineup changed a whole bunch because people died oh curly was dead at, <laughs> curly was dead he didn't do the, the gig very long he was his he he, it's a one of the most tragic stories i've ever heard he was in a home by the time he was like 39 yeah uh dying and yeah. but, many blows to the head or what uh drugs and alcohol mostly i believe oh, okay. alcohol yeah and and yeah yeah tragic story. Did you know that Curly and Mo and Shemp are all brothers? Some people don't know that. Some people don't know that they're all related. Larry Fine's not. Uh, and then they they had when I used to get those shitty truck stop VHSs of twenty cartoons, and they'd be like they try to reboot the Three Stooges as a seventies cartoon, and they have live action sequences, and it is one of the most sad things I've ever seen in my life. The Three Stooges in the seventies. Holy shit. Oh, God. Was that uh, for the Robotic Stooges? The cartoon where they're also <laughs> No, there was a series of shorts. I think that was supposed to be like a, a, a television show. But yeah, they've had mm. so many chances because they became famous in their like late 40s, early 50s and actually started getting paydays. So all their worst shit is when they're getting compensated well. Now, now I'm picturing a jackass cartoon in the 2040s. <laughs> I mean, that's... that's that, exactly I, what it would be, yeah. I was listening to an interview like a... Johnny Knoxville was trying to like bring that into the Three Stooges, and the Fairley Brothers was like kind of against it. Like, no, it's not real. It's like, but, right. that's, but I, that's what I do. And and yeah, Johnny Knoxville being Mo is probably the most exciting mistake I could think of in terms of casting. There, it could have been at least interesting. Well, I, I think that kind of gets into: Do you want the Three Stooges to be frozen in time, or do you want them to change and evolve? Because I could see a Johnny Knoxville Three Stooges that is very different from the classic Stooges, but that could still work. Everything it's I laugh at in the Stooges and cartoons, I laugh at in Jackass. All yeah. those movies—that's all they are—is isolated gags done to real people. I laugh for the same reasons. I just want people to know out there, I'm not shitting on Johnny Knox. I love Jackass. I've seen Jackass forever, I think three times now. I I don't love this movie, but I was excited to see it again just because, like, everybody shit on it. Nobody Mm -hmm. saw it. And it, yeah. But it's perfect. Like like you said with West Side Story, but does it need to exist? Does it need to exist? It's it's clearly a passion project from the Fairleys. And yeah, it's done with real respect. And I appreciate that. It's exactly what they set out to make. Yeah. And it's and it's great it, it, for what it lacks in like huge blockbuster stars, guys who are just doing pitch perfect impressions of these characters and are technically a little more spry than the Stooges ever were. <laughs> anyway, Three Stooges movie. That's Chris's recommend. A movie I might recommend uh, is the next movie of the week. We have uh, Bradley Whitford, Richard Jenkins. <laughs> I love how they open the film. Fran there are Cur- action figures of them. Awesome. <laughs> Jesse Williams, Anna Hutchinson, uh, Chris Hemsworth, and Kristen Connolly in Cabin in the Woods. This must be it. Let's get this party started! (laughs) Systems online. Acquiring targets. What is going on? Somebody said those things here to get us. What is this place? Cabin in the woods. Man, the tone of the marketing is just feels much different than the actual movie. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because they they give away that there there is a twist. Right. 
but not yeah. necessarily what it is. It just has something to do with these guys in an office. But what do the guys in the office have to do with these like college kids that are going to go have a fun trip to this cabin and have a vacation and nothing scary will happen whatsoever? Yeah, I think like the original trailer, all you saw was like a bird flying into an invisible wall around this cabin. Like, mm-hmm. wait a minute, what the fuck? It's not just redneck stalking teenagers around a cabin. How do you, how do we describe how do we get into talking about Cabin in the Woods? JR, you said you love this movie. I love this film. It's I have seen this film more than any other movie in 2012, and that includes Whoa. The Avengers. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. So I watched it at a dark time in my life, honestly. And just the sheer joy that this gave me will make it always have a special part in my heart. I was never the world's hugest horror fan, Mm -hmm. but I'd seen enough of it to get everything they were going for in this film. Mm -hmm. It's such a smart take on the horror genre because your headcanon can now be 90% of horror films take place in the cabin in the woods universe. And everything you're seeing that doesn't make sense is just the guys behind the screen twisting a few dials and making a few buttons to release pheromones to have people act stupid. Yeah, it's just the, uh, the so, villain from uh, Billy Madison pulling the wrong lever. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, but they're doing this because if they don't do it, the world ends. The great old ones sleep beneath the earth they need sacrifices if they don't get the sacrifices they rise up and kill everyone but the sacrifices have to be done in a ritualistic manner in the olden days it was on the top of a pyramid but as times changed it became the typical trope horror movie of uh the fool the whore uh the jock the virgin and the brain and all of those have to be killed and the virgin has to die last every every member of the breakfast club must be murdered exactly (laughs) and the characters are very funny they're believable i love the fact that the stoner guy is the guy who sees through everything because his drugs make the agency's drugs not work on him he's also stoned at the same time so he's not quite trusting his instincts it has the most chaotic gore fest i've seen in any horror film ever i was was gonna say the the only thing i don't like about the movie is like the explanation you just gave on why it happens and then the elevator sequence occurs and like that is wonderful (laughs) that that is great yeah well i so here's the thing i i also love this movie but yeah as post postmodern horror movies go it's kind of this tucker and dale and scream Mm -hmm. and i feel like this is not i i like it even better than i think those two because it's a commentary on horror as an entire genre really the old ones are us that we are the viewers and if we don't get to see titties we get pissed (laughs) off even though that has nothing to do with anything but that's sort of the point we will hate the movie or destroy the earth whichever one if we don't get certain things but we also get frustrated when we see things like so it's like we're we're the old ones, but we're also sort of Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford as the you know the guys in the in the booth when you know Chris Hemsworth is like okay something was weird is going on we're all going to stick together we're going to do a perimeter search and then we're going to go room by room and they're like oh man no that actually <laughs> makes sense don't do that <laughs> so and then so I was watching this and also Michael pointed out wow this is like the Hunger Games and I was like the Hunger Games just came out a couple of weeks ago. Oh, well, yeah, wow. and and, and, I, and they kind of go together well. This movie was shot two years ago. Yeah, yeah. 
And that's how in 2009. It's how Chris Hemsworth ended up as Thor because Joss Whedon was overseeing most of the MCU at that point. And it's interesting because it's like the smallest Chris Hemsworth has been since becoming <laughs> Thor and being jacked all the time. Yeah, he's just like a regular sized jack dude. Yeah, because yeah. Thor, Thor's already come out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Thor's already come out, but he made that after he made this. So I remember it was it was strange. You get to see the most buff dude ever, and like, what the hell? He's a skinny little kid here. Oh, this movie is years so, older than Thor for some reason. So buffer than any of us have ever been. True, <laughs> true. It's just reasonable buff. Uh, but I love how much attention to detail they put into this movie. I mean, things like the whiteboard are just a joy uh, yes. to look in the whiteboard is where they're betting what's going to kill him mutants wraith zombies reptilicus clown witches sexy witches demons hell lord angry molesting tree giant snake <laughs> deadites kevin mummy the bride the scarecrow folk snowman dragon bat vampires dismemberment goblins sugar plum fairy merman the reanimated unicorn sasquatch wago yeti dolls the doctor zombie redneck torture family jack-o-lantern giants and twins yeah and so yeah it is fun for horror fancy and go through like okay well this, this whole setup is very evil dead and that's where you get deadites and angry molesting tree kevin um I that's don't a good know. question we need to talk about I mean, kevin jason and freddie so i guess kevin could be like could one of them? them we need to jason, you never saw we, kevin? you never saw we need to talk about kevin it could be that kid was murderous I don't yeah. know. I've never seen it actually, but yeah. yeah. Then Kevin's then, a funny name in the mixture of all those other ones. Yeah, it's just yeah. such an and then yeah, we also see there's a ton more because yeah, we get to see their underground lair where they have all the different monsters that could come out and kill people. And so there's like a little murder robot and <laughs> giant lizards and giant spiders and a bat. Yeah, I, I have and to say, you like know why the purge button exists, you know why there's a button to release all those monsters? Why? No, because this is not a horror film for the teenagers. This is a horror film for the facility. The oh. guy at the beginning who warns the teenagers then calls to warn the facility. But the facility, following the tropes of a horror movies, ignores his warning. Oh. Then the facility begins to do their own sinning. They're drinking. They're cavorting. That's right. <laughs> and they get punished for it with uh, the purge. Interesting. Nice. Because I, I I did want to say to people if I read this movie was on like the festival circuit for two years. I mm. read about it constantly, and I thought I knew everything about it going into it. And while I knew the premise, I still can't get over the opening. It's just Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford. It's every time I see it, I'm like what a great way to start this movie. Like they, <laughs> they don't keep a secret at all. It it it's. No. It's told no, so you know something's going on, but not why. Yeah. The why is the reveal. Yes, yes. But like they, they weren't any the promotional materials and they weren't any of the uh, trailers. So yeah. it was just it's such a bizarre opening with a great intro song. Another yeah. nice little touch uh, is they say in the film, you know, we haven't had a failure since 98. And that was chemicals problem. In 98, the faculty came out and all the kids there didn't fall prey to the monster because of chemicals. So that's my head cannon is what uh, the 98 failure was. I was wondering what they were referring to. So I in the the, uh, faculty. So, I mean, a lot of the promo stuff, they they really play up Joss Whedon. And I think because he co-wrote, I'll give him that. Mm -hmm. But we need to talk about Drew Goddard because Drew Goddard is awesome and more people need to know his name. And he doesn't get 
the credit that he deserves. J.J. Abrams did not write Cloverfield. Drew Goddard did. Bad Times yeah. at the El Royale is fucking great. Bad Times at the El Royale is a lot of fun. He also wrote The Martian. He created Daredevil on Netflix slash now it's over on uh, Disney+. Disney+. Plus. <laughs> yeah. Wow. He's he's a busy guy. He did punch up on Deadpool 2. Nice. Um, wrote a lot of stuff for, for Buffy and then directed stuff there. Yeah. Give Drew Goddard the attention that Joss sure. Whedon gets. What's your favorite kill in Cabin in the Woods? Because mine is hands down the unicorn. I just love <laughs> the fact that there's this beautiful, majestic unicorn. What is the purpose of a horn? To stab people. Oh, that's that's tough. I think I just generally of all the, the monsters, dismemberment goblins are the one I want to see the most. Yeah. And I'm a little bummed that we don't really get, we don't get much of them because I love the idea because they're sort of like gremlins. I think they're but, supposed to be gremlins. Right. But the idea that they're dismemberment gremlins or goblins just makes me think that they like sneak up on people and just like steal their foot and run away. <laughs> <laughs> so I like the idea that they're taking you piece by piece. That could be very scary. You just look yes. down and suddenly you've got a foot gone. Yeah. Oh, I like that idea. Yeah, it's like, like the best scene in Looper where the guy stuffs his fingers oh, keep disappearing. That scene creeped me out. Yeah. No, Cabin oh. in the Woods, it's like, it's an okay, as a horror film. It's like, it's okay. It does have the horror stuff that you're looking for. But, you know, as a comment on horror films for people who have seen or just understand the tropes of horror films, mm -hmm. God, it's fun. And then seeing people saying like, are we going to get Cabin in the Woods too? It's like, you have missed the point. I, I wanted to I know. I, wanted I to want Cabin in the Woods too. I want to see Japan. I want to spin <laughs> off that in Japan. Oh, I was going to say like, what would you do? But that would be fucking great. Yeah. Uh, grudge well, girls and... Yeah, we, we do see that there have been uh, attempts at the, the murder ritual in other places that yes. have failed. We just like a King Kong with horns. Yeah, in Argentina. We don't know Ar what his have is. a big monster movie scene. I don't know. There's one in Norway that kind of implies the thing to me. Like, oh, yeah, that would the work. aftermath looking. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, and the Japanese ritual of the like dead girl hovering and scaring all the children. But now she's a happy frog and will live on <laughs> in our hearts. <laughs> And it's weird that that's like the only meme to come out of this is a girl holding a frog going, the evil is defeated. No, no, there's another meme. The oh. meme is the the board of who had nuclear war in March of 2022. <laughs> but yeah, let, let's talk about the ending real quick because I always had a problem with it. They decide not to kill the fool, even though doing so means the world will end and the fool will die anyway as soon as the world ends. Hmm. To me, that was always an issue. If I was in charge of this oh. really expensive film, <laughs> what I would have done is I would have had all throughout the film have one person say, so I know I'm new here. What happens if we don't succeed? And the mm -hmm. per next person up in line says, you're not cleared for that. And then that person asks the person ahead of them, what happens? And they say, you're not cleared for that. And they keep going. And no one knows what will happen if it doesn't succeed until you get to the director. And they finally say, Okay, yes, I need to kill him. Why? Something bad will happen. What? And then they look at her and they realize, you don't know either. Mm. They've been performing this ritual, but they don't actually know what is going to happen if they don't perform the ritual because it's been going on so long. Mm. That way the guy doesn't, you know, not doom the world for really no purpose. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that take. Sure. But on the other hand, it's like, really? Um, now... Granted, if Sigourney Weaver shows up and tells me to kill someone, I generally will do it. Right. 
But I can understand after what they've been through to be like, yeah, you have to kill him or we'll all die. You've been lying to me this whole time, so... They're like looking down an abyss where an old one is about to come alive. So, yeah. And it's not like they say they don't believe her. They do believe her and they're actively choosing not to. I am astonished this this never got a follow-up because I think because the nature of what it is, its audience is broader than just horror fans. Yeah, and uh, didn't make as much money as I thought it. I, I guess just everyone I knew was fucking batshit for this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't wait. Yeah, because it. it is just a lot of fun. Even yeah. if you're not sure where it's going or what's going on, it's a fun ride. I understand yeah. it's hard to follow up, and I'm, I'm shocked that some no, studio didn't take the reins or huh? uh, yeah. prequel, prequel, prequel. You know, set it in like Universal the 1980s. Horror. You know, <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Okay, this is for real. Me in real life. Anytime I'm at a garage sale. I low-key look for a book in a language I don't recognize and don't read, preferably Latin, but I look for an old book that I don't know what it is, I can't read it, and my plan is that if I ever come across that in the garage sale, I'll buy it, put it in a bag, never look at it until I go camping. There you go. And I'm going to bring that book to the camping site, and as we're sitting around the fire late at night, (laughs) isolated from everyone, the dark sounds of the woods in the background, I will ask if anyone will read from this old book whose meaning we don't understand. You guys want to do shots or incantations? Which one? Yeah. What do yeah. We do? Uh, I was thinking we could do fireball or we could raise Fornicus, Lord of Bondage and Pain. <laughs> so if you're with me on this camping trip, will you read from the creepy old book whose meaning you do not understand? Oh, Absolutely no? not. No, no. Why? I'm not reading from the creepy old book. I'm not putting on the jewelry. I'm not. I'm okay. I might blow the conch. I do want to see a merman. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you merman why. Merman is pretty awesome. I wouldn't do it because having someone distracted and reading a book is exactly how you put on whatever fucking costume and run up behind them and give them the scare of their goddamn <laughs> lifetime. Make him shit his pants in front of his, all his friends and his new girlfriend. It's never happened to me. It's never happened to me. But I, I just not falling for it again. And Diana, because magic is real. I, I, I just don't trust Latin. <laughs> I just don't. I don't trust Latin at all. No. Just don't trust Latin. Aramaic, maybe. Ah, I don't trust Latin. Uh, what did so, you ever do? Yeah, I do. Like there is a cabin in the woods. Like he that has all of the different uh, monsters. It tries to identify what probably summons them in the basement because there's a basement full of stuff. Yeah. That, each one summons somebody. Plus, there's also a visual companion and monsters mentioned in the novelization, which includes oh, the scorpion stinger woman. Ooh. I want to read that novelization. You guys have both seen Goonies, right? Of course. Mm-hmm. You know that attic? Yeah. Yes. I had an idea for a Goonies spinoff where everything in that attic is like in Cabin in the Woods. Only instead of taking them on a horror journey, any different item in that attic takes them on a different adventure. Oh, and now we're going to Antiques Roadshow. This does make me feel like, because I was just up in my attic, which is just full of random video game shit, that I should probably plant spooky things. Oh. Yeah. I mean, my big plan was a like a portrait that looks like me, but is very aged. Okay, but that works. I, I should probably make a spooky book full of Latin, too. Or, or you just wait 100 years. And then whoever discovers it will be, ah, this is the Yoshi doll. (laughs) Touch it. The legend says a dinosaur will come and consume us all. That would explain what happened to my Yoshi doll. Jesus Christ, I've been looking for it for years. Uh, Cabin in the Woods. I guess that's a a hard recommend. 
very huge recommend. It is a lot of fun, even if you don't like horror movies. Yeah, think, for real. In fact, yeah. if you don't for like horror real. movies, I think this will become your favorite one. Yeah. Because it's about making fun of horror movies. Oh, and then moving on to television, uh, 2012, uh, April 8th to the 14th. How I Met Your Mother, Trilogy Time. This is one of my favorite episodes. So it starts out with the boys in college, and they make a pact that every th three years, they're going to watch the original Star Wars trilogy. And when they're doing that, they predict that what their lives will be like three years in their future. And it is so awesome seeing their plans crash and fail spectacularly year after year. And some years people are up and others are down and other years other people are up and others are down. And it also really shows how the difference in 22 and 25 is huge. Mm. But once they get to like, I'm 30, how much different is my life really going to be at 33? You know, mm. and that's one of the great things about How I Met Your Mother is it's a really longitudinal show that really shows how people change over time. And that's part of its brilliance, I think. 30 Rock episode, Meet the Woggles. Woggles? Woggles? Woggles. Woggles. So Jenna yeah. has a sexual walkabout list. This is, she's on a breakup, and so she wants to do all these sexual tasks before she gets back together. Uh, the list includes Ed Bagley slash Hank Williams Jr. <laughs> next to a horse being born. In a blimp. Orgy with SEAL Team 6. General Zod. Guy who just farted. In the replay booth of an NFL game. Make love to a beloved children's entertainer. Be with a non-Aboriginal Australian. Cause an impeachment. Shower with the Snapple woman. In an airplane, wheel well. The Lorac. Supreme Court Justice, comma, liberal. <laughs> Dean Kane, And finally, Yoko a band. So, in this episode, she is trying to break up the Woggles, who are a children's entertainment band <laughs> like the Wiggles. They have a great song. Feelings, 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 say how you feel. Apples, you taste good. Trees, you give us wood. Grandma, I am gay. Bridge. Show me on in a sexual way. <laughs> Spaghetti, you're my favorite food. A dog in sunglasses, you're real cool too. Police, I killed a man. Son, your father's dad. Wife, I've been to a whore. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't have anywhere else to say this. During the pandemic, we experimented with ad-free Hulu. Mm. Mm. Because those ads would get real fucking annoying when you see the same Geico ads every seven seconds. Yeah. And oh. my, my ex had never seen 30 Rock, and so we, she binged that. I ducked in and out. Uh, to this day, I have a Peacock logo burned into my television. And every time <laughs> I think of 30 Rock, I get mad. The other thing I want to talk about this episode of 30 Rock is Jack's mother is going for heart surgery, and she wants to have the talk. Not the talk about sex. She had that with him three years ago. But the talk about death. And to me, this is something you don't see a lot, but is also true to reality. Once your parents get to a certain age you really kind of do need to have a talk with them about mm -hmm. death because you're going to regret it if that doesn't happen. Or do, do jokes count? <laughs> if that's mm. how you communicate, yeah. 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 Uh, I've tried that many times. So, oh, yeah, we're, no, we're getting to it. We're working on, what do you want me to do? Just fucking tell me. Just write it down somewhere. You want to be, yeah, also... be buried? Where you want to be buried? You got plans for any of that? What do you want me to do with your house? Yep. Yep. Uh, wills are good. Living wills are also good. Exactly. Living wills what are great. 
great. Come on. Yeah. I've bet I've written my own obit already. Come on, people. Catch up. I don't trust the rest of you to write my obit. I, I, I wrote mine. J.R. Rawls discovered he had superpowers late in life, but <laughs> went on to save the world. Wait, wait, the office has an episode of a welcome party. Very funny episode, uh, but it asked a question which I was embarrassed I couldn't answer. Okay, without Googling, just answer as quickly as you can. Does Stanley have a mustache? Yes. Yes. He does. He yeah. does. But everyone <laughs> on the office was asking if Stanley had a mustache or not because they bought him a card that the joke required him to have a mustache. But then they got into a debate about whether he had a mustache or not. And then I started second guessing myself and going, wait, does he have a mustache? But I guess that's just me. Um, on the, also this week, a show I never saw, but with a cast I, I did like, uh, Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. I watched the pilot and I was cracking up. This is incredibly funny. Chloe is the bee in apartment 23. And she's a con artist who asked for first months, last months, and a security deposit rent. And then she behaves horribly. So the person moves out and loses all of that money. I didn't know the it's premise. a dark comedy. But have either of you two ever had a really horrible roommate? I oh, am yeah. a horrible roommate. Oh. Yep. Horrible roommate. I oh, wait. The B was Christian Ritter? Yes. Again, going back to TV shows on Netflix that are now on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Hey, I didn't realize that. It's got Eric Andre in it, too. Um, and James Vanderbeek as himself. As That's, as like, as the himself. only thing I knew about it. The, and, and they play with that. They're, they have him, like, with a fan who asks him to wear flannel, and he's like, oh, I don't want to do that, but fine. <laughs> Man versus Food ends, technically. Uh, so uh, Adam Richman, the host, had zero background in professional eating until he started this. And the key is lots of exercise, especially your legs and back, because those are your biggest muscles to activate your metabolism and interval training uh, as well before and eating he, and fasting. He quit because of health reasons, didn't he? Yeah, there were a couple issues. Um, uh, one restaurant put Man, man, man entire... vs. Food was a show where a guy traveled the country trying to eat the biggest this like every record at every restaurant trying to beat that record but he's not as big or as skilled as he should be it looked painful yeah one restaurant put an entire bottle of ghost peppers on wings when they only normally use a little and I... he had to go to the hospital and he said oh. he could have died oh my god um, yeah the, to me the scariest thing he ever did was he ate 20 dozen oysters so not oh. a gross of oysters oh. more than a gross of oysters 20 times 12 oh, oysters. oysters gross Ooh. so sick it must have been really horny afterwards you know how those things were <laughs> oh my god he was terrifying uh but i think the show the show is back or still on or as a new host but like this is the only one i watched the one with adam richman and my, my roommate was, then roommate was obsessed with it. it i hated that food network show the least and, mm. and deep within my uh, shame pile, I, I'm, it makes me sad to say that The Legend of Korra debuts this week. I have started uh, Avatar The Last Airbender several times, and then the streaming rights switch services. And like, God damn it, I can't finish this. And I have uh, yet to finish it since it started Netflix. And so I've yet to start Legend of Korra, which I hear is even better. But like mm. that show is a that, that show and those showrunners are brilliant. It, that show is great. And I, I really want to see. Legend I'm of not a uh, a fan, but mm -hmm. I did do a little research, and the Legend of Korra is very divisive in mm -hmm. the fan community. 
You have a lot of people who think it's really bad. A lot of people who think it's misunderstood. You can find a two-hour video on YouTube of saying why it's bad, and then a two-hour response to that video on saying right. why it's good, and then a two-hour response to that video saying why that person was wrong. I'm pretty sure I know yeah. where all the critics saying it's bad are coming from, and I don't care what they think. Because Can uh, I guess what gender they might be? There you go. Probably is wrapped up in a lot of that, and maybe mm. a little queerness to boot. But I've always really wanted to get into Legend of Korra, but I wanted to get through Avatar first. And that these these anime inspired shows are better than anime, in my opinion. There, I said it. I can somebody kill me. I have not seen Legend of Korra, but I cannot believe it's te- it's been on my backlog for ten years. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Moving on to games of 2012, April 8th through the 14th, we got Skullgirls. Skullgirls, a quirky little fighting game. Um, There's a 1920s cartoon character who mm-hmm. throws living bombs. <laughs> yes. We also got Legend of Grimrock. I didn't play a ton of, but Tribes Ascend, for some reason, Tyler and I played a ton of together when we lived in the same... That's the only time I think we were playing the same game in the same house together. But if skiing, you familiar with skiing, the concept of skiing? Tribes would make mm-hmm. it so you could uh, jump really high and then you land in sort of a ditch like that Flappy Bird game I forget the name of, and you could you could duck and then scoot and then incredible skiing momentum uh, fly out of there and start shooting people. So it was basically like a bunch of men flying through the air shooting one another. Tribes Ascend, I have not played in a very long time. If, if you're super indie, there's no game more super indie than Fez. Fez is out this week, I think. Yeah, uh, Part of the indie renaissance, maybe even the birth. You know, I don't know about you. I have no indies have existed for the whole of video gaming, but I don't think they were a force from like the 70s until right about now in 2012 you know i really feel like this is when it's being born as a big thing it it not only got a good branding from especially platforms like xbox live fez was the game featured in indie game the movie so not only was the uh, the creator so vocal he eventually retired from everything and doesn't speak in public anymore he was one of the more vocal indie developers updating everybody all the time whether you wanted him to or not over and over again he's the 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 focus of indie game the movie fez fez a game i thought was charming and couldn't be bothered to finish but stay tuned people are going to tell you who lived and who died during this period of 30 2010 before that we just want to say thanks to all our patrons at patreon.com slash laser time thanks for your patience with some of our podcasts uh we're hopefully clearing out that backlog soon and die where can people find you they can find me on the twitter at listening nerd l-e-c-i-n-e-n-e-r-d or follow the show at 302010 podcast that's 302010 podcast and teasing next week, both Kira Knightley and Dwayne The Rock Johnson Ooh. make their leading film debuts. Oh, wow. Ooh. The same week in the same year. In the same movie. No. In the same Bat Channel. I no. know. And uh, <laughs> I can't, that might be a movie I actually like, actually. No, no, it's not. Oh, it's a terrible movie with Rock. Well, okay. one of those is terrible. One of those is charming. Yes. Uh, yeah. I just, I just wanted to watch Helderado. JR, what about you? They can find me on the Twitter at J-R-R-A-L-L-S or Talking Terrific Television, found wherever your podcasts are found. Okay, Diana, who died this week? I think we mentioned it already. Yeah, just Sam Kinison. He was 38. That's the only one I found. 38. But that makes up for all the other old people. You know. Too young, too he promising. He was sacrificed for the old ones, I guess. I don't yeah. Know. But with that other way, you got to see who's born with a bubble of a birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly do, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong do. Oh, All right. So we have someone who was born during this show, what? but she does not have any credits old enough 
for us to talk about. Oh, okay. So I will just say Daisy Ridley, happy birthday. You're 30 now. She was born in 1992. Wow. I guess Daisy Ridley. <laughs> you can't do that. Good job, Dan. You can't do that. The clues were too obvious. No, so she... she literally hadn't done anything in 2012. So wasn't it until like 2015, really? Yeah, like I, she popped up on an episode of Toast to London as basically an extra, and I was like, oh shit, there she is. Yeah, Fuck that no, sky pretty... high. Yeah, so... <laughs> basically nothing until Star Wars. So practically nothing, like very very tiny parts. Anyway, so let's do someone with an extensive filmography. Ooh, okay. Turning 68. This week, born, I know, so (laughs) close, born April 9th, 1954 in Houston, Texas. Mom sold real estate. Dad was an electrician, dropped out of college to move to Hollywood. He hit a decent size like right away. Both he and Bill Paxton made their film debuts in Crazy Mama, 1975. Yeah. Since then, he's done a fucking ton of acting. He's also a patient safety advocate. Testified before Congress, a congressional committee, and produced documentaries for the Discovery Channel because um, his newborn twins were hurt because of a, a labeling problem. And he's known as one of Hollywood's best golfers. His handicap is one. Whoa, that's I did not know good. that. I would not associate this guy with golf at all. Alice Cooper. No. Nope. <laughs> anyway, he's been in a lot of movies that have giant casts, so we're gonna have to knock some of these out. And most of these do not help. Traffic, gang-related, switchback, playing by heart, vantage point. The new vi- the, the, is there a remake for Vantage Point? It's the remake. Oh, damn it. That doesn't help. All right, how about Pandorum, Suspect, Legion, Soul Surfer, and Footloose the remake? Shit. Uh, Kevin Bacon. No. Close-ish, though. Anyway, The Express, The Ernie Davis Story, G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, Beneath the Darkness, Any Given Sunday. See, there's a bunch of football movies in there. Huh. Uh, 68. I don't... Yep. All right, I'll give you another one. Everybody's All-American, plus DOA. Postcards from the Edge, Great Balls of Fire. I, I see the Paradise. Dennis Quaid. It is Dennis Quaid. There you oh, go. No. <laughs> also, the Big Easy Dragonheart, Interspace, the Rookie that we just talked about, Parrot Trap, and Frequency. Oh, yeah. Oh, Dennis Oof. Quaid uh, saves me again every time. So uh, many of those, like, oh, that's right, he is in any given. It's in traffic, isn't he? Yeah, that's right. The asshole He's... dad, senator. What was he? Yeah, he just sort of pops up here and they're like, yeah. Uh, good on you. Happy birthday, Dennis Quaid. I hope you... And yeah, I can't believe that he and Bill Paxton both made their film debuts in Crazy Mama. It's <laughs> pretty nuts, especially with how similar they fucking look. Those guys... Yeah. Or maybe they just always have the same haircut. Yeah, so they were in a movie where Cloris Leachman goes crazy, and oh. it's directed by Jonathan Demme, one of his first movies. Uh, all right, everyone. Well, uh, again, we encourage you to chime in with your thoughts on the website, our Laser Time Facebook group, on the Twitters. Let us know what you think of these things, because again... Your experience with this, this, we're not experts here. We're not scholars. We're just people who like stuff, and your stories are just as important as ours. We should have some uh, uh, feedback from you over on patreon.com slash laser time. So feel free to toss us five bucks and get in on that. Di, what are we closing with? Well, I have to close with a Riot Girl anthem. That L7 album is freaking awesome. So yeah. let's pretend that we're dead. Yeah, in high school, it was. I was in high school during the alternative movement, and I just. L7 was such a fucking huge hit. With flannel wearing ladies, and it's—I yeah. feel like I don't hear enough about them anymore because they were fucking everywhere back in the mm-hmm. back when I was in high school. Right, girl. L seven. Yep. They also did one of the most disgusting onstage antics I've ever heard of. What? Um, was it? A, I don't know if it was a Woodstock '99. It was somewhere where the crowd was being horrible, and um, one of them pulled out her tampon and threw it at. Them. Hell yeah! <laughs> sure, they had yes, it coming. That's fucking punk rock. <laughs> Fuck doing heroin. Throw tampons at people. So we're going to close out uh, with L7 for 10 What We Were Dead. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. And every